0: <phone> so <rings>
1: All right, hello, willkommen, Bienvenue, konnichiwa, It's time for the Armish Inquisition yet again, episode 178 on Sunday, the 4th of April, Easter Sunday. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Ben. And I'm Armish Matt. And tonight's guest is Egyptologist and author David Roll. How are we doing, David? I know,
2: miss David. I'm doing fine, thank you very much.
1: <laughs> Good to have you. I've got a book of yours here on the counter, and you said, don't get that one, it's rubbish.
2: Yeah, I did, actually, yeah. Especially the paperback, at least you could have got the hardback. back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was looking through your, your books and uh, looking at synopses and whatever, and I thought, crack it, this is right up my alley. Ancient history, theology, sort of alternate timelines.
2: Where, where have you been all my life? Probably working damn hard writing those books, I guess. <laughs> and more to the point, is where have you
1: been during my life? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, um, you know, I'm sorry to say I've only recently become familiar with your work and looking forward to really getting stuck into it.
2: Oh, well, when were you born? 1983. Oh, uh, well, yeah, you probably were about nine years old when I did my first TV series, so that's probably why you miss me. You're out playing footy all the time. Yes, yeah. Um, I'll, one of the sort of
1: areas of your work that really interests me is this chronology, this alternate chronology uh-huh. with ancient Egypt. So right. could you maybe tell us about that and uh, so how it differs
2: from the traditional chronology? And Sure. Well, I, I started with all this um, when I read a book by Professor Kenneth Kitchen from Liverpool, which is called The Third Intermediate Period in Egypt. And it was a little blue book, but it was really thick, And it was the first time that any scholar, Egyptologist, had put together all the data from one particular period of Egyptian history, which is from the 21st dynasty all the way through to the 25th. We call it the third intermediate period. Now, when I was at university, you didn't touch that with a barge pole because it was so bloody complicated that nobody wanted to teach it. So they jumped from the New Kingdom across to the sort of late late period, but ignoring this period completely. That interested me because I wondered why they were so scared to do it. And I, this book came out and it was, gave everybody an opportunity to look at all the data together and looking how had constructed the chronology for those dynasties. And I could see there were lots of problems with it. So I thought, right, now, this, the, the methodology was wrong to start off with. He was writing maybe this, maybe that, and then two chapters later, it was a fact. And so he built up this sort of like skeletal framework, which is basically a sort of Frankenstein's monster. And it needed to be dismantled and reconstructed. And what I found was that scholars, even all the way back to Champollion, you know, in the sort of like the 1800s, had essentially cr- constructed a history of Egypt, which was overextended, too long. And what that did is, if you can imagine a BC period, you have to work backwards, don't you, from sort of like year zero, birth of Christ, working backwards. And they have to, unlike today when we have a date which is so many... Oops, was that crackling? It's all right. Are you crackling? That's oh, no, all right, is it? Okay, so today we're at, right. what are we in? 2021, that's 2021 years since year zero. We can work that out nice and easy, but going backwards in time from year zero into the BC period, is much more difficult. You have to construct it all, piecing all the evidence together. And they basically stretched it out too much. It was too easy. They left lots of gaps and sort of think, oh, we'll not worry about them, then we'll fill them in later. And as a result of that, they pushed all the dates before that much much earlier in time so ramesses ii for instance is about 250 years too old compared to where you really should be in the historical timeline does that make any sense
1: yeah so ramesses II would be sort of towards the end of the bronze age that sort of period wouldn't it
2: well, no, it, it doesn't change the archaeology or the time periods in the sense that the Bronze Age and the Iron Age don't change because they move with the Egyptians. Because uh, yeah. the Egyptians are the ones who date those those levels in the sites by artefacts that have Egyptian kings' names on them. That's, so if you shift the dates of Ramesses down by 250 years, you're moving the Bronze Age down as well. That's what I get. Which so, rather nice because what... Sorry, so what, sorry? To, to, to be clear, so the ancient
1: Egyptian stuff is used to calibrate this sort of timeline, and that's why when you find inconsistencies in ancient history, this stretches out and has ramifications for different parts of the world, the Mediterranean world and periods.
2: Exactly. You've been doing a bit of reading. Good for you. Yeah, it basically eliminates the Greek Dark Age. So post-Trojan War... You know, we have this 300-year dark age in, Egypt, in Greek history, which doesn't exist. It's a, a complete fake. The Greeks themselves never even heard of a dark age. It's just we've constructed one based on the fact that their dating is dated via the Egyptian evidence. So Agamemnon and the, and the Mycenaeans, for instance, are dated by the Egyptian dates, not by their own Greek dates. The Greeks don't have a chronology that can really work independently of the Egyptian dates. Same goes for the Bible. Same goes for Roman history as well. So, for instance, Aeneas, yep. who was the last great hero of the Trojan War, the surviving Trojan, he goes off, sails off to Carthage and, you know, has an affair with Dido. But at that time, he's already 300 years old. So poor old Dido is, you know, falling in love with a 300-year-old geezer. Don't make any sense at all. Because Carthage wasn't founded until 825 BC, and the Trojan War was supposed to take place in 1177 BC. N- nonsense. This is something I asked Eric Klein about the Aeneas. Uh, oh,
1: th- you interviewed Klein, did you? Excellent. Yeah, the Aeneas foundation myth, and I, I, I sort of uh, twisted his arm and tried to get him to indulge me that this might have been possible.
2: Because ah, well, it's, it, only po- it's only possible if you revise the timeline.
1: Yeah, because a lot of these founding uh, myth, well, these stories, if you like, these cultural stories and and founding stories, they are treated as myth and that. And you can say
2: the same thing for the Bible, I guess, as well, and a lot of the Israelite history as well. Definitely. But the whole point is, the reason why they're founding myths and they're not actually real is because the timeline's wrong. If you adjust the timeline correctly, they all come into the archaeological history. You can actually see them there. We even have documents of these people. For instance, we've got letters in the British Museum written by King Saul to Pharaoh Arkanaten. Now, that that is impossible on the conventional timeline because they're 300 years separate, the two of them. That's mind blowing. Yeah, so, it is. Going That's back to this. Um... My, my mind is completely addled. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: Well, this is one thing. I'm a complete amateur, although I love ancient history and this sort of Mm -hmm. this period as well. And trying to keep all these things in your head at the same time, and then work them towards a timeline, is incredibly difficult.
2: Oh, you want to try working with two chronologies—the conventional one and the (laughs) new chronology? Then you get into my state. You know, I've got a brain divided in two here. I have to work with both of them. So, when you talk to, um, say, a traditional
1: someone who believes in the traditional chronology and we yeah. take you mentioned the greek dark age so we have mm-hmm. mycenae which yeah. we, which uh, during the trojan war that's uh, the greek uh, the bronze age collapse that seems to be Correct. the end of the mycenaeans Correct. and then we have this gap and then we have greece yeah. now this is the same geographical area isn't it and are, 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 is it your belief that there wasn't the collapse of mycenae there was uh, how no, does that it,
2: work it did collapse, but it didn't have a 300-yard dark age to follow it. So, in other words, that, yes, we know there was a collapse. We know that after the Trojan War, the Mycenaeans came back to the Peloponnese and to the Greece. And then, uh, according to the Greek history, the Dorians invaded and, and burnt all these um, cities like Mycenae and, and Pylos and places like that. They all got burnt and destroyed. The problem with that is that in the conventional dating The Dorians don't come along for another 200 years. So they can't be the guys who destroyed Mycenae. They can't be the guys who destroyed Pallas and and Sparta. But that is what the Greek stories tell us happened. The Dorians came along and destroyed the Mycenaean civilization. But that can only happen if the Dark Age doesn't exist. Okay, and if you look at all the the genealogies of the Greeks, for instance, the Spartan kings, they go back to the Dorian invasion, and you can't get them back to that sort of dating. It doesn't work that way because we know the dates of those kings and we know how far back they go. So they don't go back to the to the period we're talking about that Eric would have. You know, eleven seventy seven BC for the for the fall of of the Bronze Age cultures. They, they can't go back that far. The Spartan genealogies.
1: No. This is this is very interesting because of the repercussions it has in our our whole shared heritage, our shared history, and our story as humanity. Because Mm -hmm. you know, after this, well, Greek Dark Age or not, whichever side of the coin you are on, before long you get Homer and then Hesiod, and then we're into ancient Greece and then ancient Rome, and then Catholic Church, and all before you know it, we're in twenty twenty one again.
2: This is why this is so well, important exactly. to us. It is. I mean, just take Homer, for example, because you raised him, okay? This is a guy who tells the story of the Trojan War, supposedly 300 years after it took place, when Troy was completely destroyed and just a ruin. How could he know about the way that the Greeks dressed in their armor? How could he know all the details about the sloping walls of Troy that Patroclus tried to to run up three times? He couldn't know any of that if it was that far apart. But if he was only a generation after the Trojan War and he could talk to the people who part participated in it then he could get his facts for, for his um iliad uh so it only makes sense if you remove the dark age so homer is just a generation or so after the trojan war not 300 years
1: yeah it certainly makes sense when you when like you say about you raise the detail that that's in the iliad And, uh, you know, unless it's a work of fabrication. But I'm guessing some of, I'm guessing a lot of the details in the Iliad have been, have they been proven to be
2: accurate via archaeology and other means? Yeah, because the site is hisalic. Uh, uh, in the Troad, in that northwest uh, of, of Turkey today. And and the sloping walls are there. They even found arrows penetrating into the cracks between the stones. So we know there was a great war. They found storage jars inside the city buried in the ground for people to store grain in. We know that the, the thing collapsed. We, we know civilization destroyed and was destroyed there. And then, according to the conventional dating, you know, there was a 300-year dark age where nobody lived there, and the people who came back to live there use the same pottery as the people who left 300 years earlier. It doesn't make any sense at all.
1: Right, so there is a a cultural, um, what's the word? Um,
2: What, lack of memory? No, like
1: a continuity, a continuity of culture between...
2: Yes. There's a continuity of culture. They don't lose the art of writing, which is one of the arguments with the, with the Dark Age. They don't suddenly reinvent writing again afterwards. There's there's a continuity there. There's only a very short period of collapse, maybe 40 years at the most. And that is where the people are grinding their way back into something we call the archaic Greek period, before the classical Greek period. Okay, so they don't forget the, how to write, they don't forget how to make pottery. Uh, so all those things and the genealogies that the, the later Greeks have, only go back to a certain date. So that dark age is, is a manufacture of Egyptian chronology because what happened was, have you heard of a guy called Flinders Petrie? Yeah. Yeah, the great Egyptian archaeologist or English Egyptologist who was a great archaeologist. Well, he found Mycenaean pottery at el Amarna, which is where Akhenaten was the king. And that Mycenaean pottery matched what the pit Shiman found at Mycenae. Okay, so therefore Mycenae's been dated by the dates that the Egyptologists give to Akhenaten. That's how we get the Bronze Age pushed back by three hundred years. Right, we just it seems to be that we're just
1: over reliant on the Egyptian chronology for, for Dead everything. Right. Dead right.
2: And everything is
1: calibrated via that. Well, it is,
2: except now, of course, they have radiocarbon dating, which they use to bolster the Egyptian dates. But that's a whole other issue, Uh, the problem with radiocarbon dating. It's specifically calibrated radiocarbon dating that's the problem. But if you simply work back through Egyptian history and archaeology, you do not get Ramesses II at 1279 BC, which is where Kenneth Kitchen, for instance, would put him. It's much more likely to be around um, 979, around that time. So it's about a 300-year movement downwards of his dates. And everything that goes with it then is consequential for the Bible because the biblical dates are independent. They are not dated by Egyptian dates. Yes, so this is something, a
1: different tool we can use to calibrate. Uh, Although, you know, since I was a young lad, everyone told me that it was um, a total mythology and there was no historical basis in the Old Testament. I mean, for example, I remember asking Mr. Klein... Professor Klein, rather, who was the uh, who was likely to have been the
2: Pharaoh in the, in the Exodus story, right? And he would probably have said to you, "Ramesses the second, but it never happened. Right, <laughs> right. That's what they do. Now, let me tell you a little sort of a circular argument, which is really interesting. Right now, in the Bible, the very first Pharaoh to be given a name is a Pharaoh called Shishak. Yeah, now Shishak is a king who, five years after Solomon's died, marches into Judah and plunders the temple of Jerusalem in what, in year five of King Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Okay, now what the Egyptianologists do was, they actually say, oh, this name Shishak sounds a bit like Shoshank. So they, they trundle off to Karnak, and they look at this big inscription there by King Shoshenk. Shoshenq the first, and what ha- is that still crackling? Are you hearing those cracklings or not, or is it just me? It's it's only for a second. It's nothing to worry about. All right, I'll keep going. then. Yeah. okay, so so what happens is then is they date Shishak Shoshenk. The, they've equated the two guys to 925 BC, which is the biblical date for the event of the sacking of the Temple of Solomon. So they use the Bible to date the founder of the 22nd Dynasty, King Shoshenk the first, and then they tot up all the dates of the kings before that to reach a date for Ramesses II in 1279 BC. But then they say, okay, well we've got we've got the Pharaoh of the Exodus at 1279 BC, but there's no evidence for any Israelites in Egypt at that time, and there's no evidence for a Jericho at that time. So the whole thing is a myth, what you call a foundation myth. So they use the Bible to date these events of the Exodus and the conquest and Jericho, and then they use that date, the Egyptian evidence, to dismiss the Bible on that point. So therefore, it's a totally circular argument. Yeah, it's... Uh... So, Ramesses II was the pharaoh of the Exodus, but it never happened. Explain that. Explain that to me, that it never happened. Well, because the evidence is not there. The prime site you have to go to is Jericho, in the Jordan Valley. Jericho was a, a a ruin for 600 years. There was no no city there at all for 600 years. And Ramesses II is smack in the middle of that 600 year period where there was no Jericho. So if there was no Jericho for Joshua to destroy, then the Israelites never left Egypt in the first place and Ramesses II is not the pharaoh of the exodus. Right so this is the story of the isn't is it, it the marching the ark of the covenant round the walls of Jericho round and and the walls collapsed they went up into the city they the whole city and then Joshua put a curse on it which lasted 600 years so in the middle of that 600 years you've got Ramesses II and the Exodus in the conventional scheme don't work right so I think it was was one of one of the Israeli archaeologists, archaeologists that said Joshua destroyed a city that wasn't even there right and that's how it's imbued into the conventional chronology at the moment now. But if you take it a different way, you say, well, okay, let's go to Jericho, let's find out when it was destroyed, and then the 600 years of with nothing there, and that is at the end of the Middle Bronze Age. It's not the end of the Late Bronze Age. That's when that city was destroyed. Right, Middle Bronze Age. Yeah. And if it's at the end of the Middle Bronze Age, then the Exodus took place in the Towards the end of the Middle Bronze Age, not the Late Bronze Age. And how does that tie in with the biblical chronology? Or it does works it not? Perfectly. Well, it, that, the, the date that the Bible gives to the Exodus is 1446 BC. Okay, now, if you take those 300 year Dark Age out that we talked about in Greece and Egyptian history, the third intermediate period gets collapsed down, it's shorter. That means that 1446 BC is right at the end of the 13th dynasty in Egypt that's when the Hyksos invade and the whole thing goes pear-shaped. Oh, now this is interesting because I've heard a well, uh, read different ideas about the Hyksos and that they right. could have been a Semitic people. They were. They came from Canaan, no doubt about that. But what we're saying is that the Exodus took place... Egypt was crushed by it, the army was drowned in the Reed Sea, they had no defence, and, and, and this is in the reign of a king Dudimos or Tutimaeus, Manetho mentions him, and then these foreigners come in, in their chariots, and they take over the place, and there's no Egyptian army to defend the country. And there's like 150 years of oppression of the Egyptians by these foreigners.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting uh, period of, of uh, part of this period of history, the Hyksos invasion of Egypt. And it it breaks up, isn't isn't there? There's the different um, dynasties. Might be the wrong word, but
2: kingdom periods. You have Middle Kingdom, and then and then you have the Lake, uh, the New Kingdom. In between, we have something called the Second Intermediate Period, which is the Hyksos period. And basically, it's a time when Egypt was not a unified country. That's what it basically means.
1: Right. So, did the Hyksos just have uh, Lower Egypt then?
2: They did for the beginning there's two periods of Hyksos what we call the early Hyksos and the, and the greater Hyksos. So the early Hyksos are the ones that come in in the first place and take over the country. And then later on we have what, what called the big dynasty, the greater Hyksos dynasty with the big names in the Popheus and Kayan and all those big guys. We're great trading kings. So they come along and they take over and they rule the last hundred and something years of that, this extended period. And they're the guys that eventually take over the south as well. And they make the Egyptian pharaohs that are living down they 're the vassals of their lot up in the north, so they have to pay and that 's when the big war starts, the big civil war. so we end up with the Thebans eventually coming along and pushing the Hyksos out into Canaan, and they become the Philistines of the Bible
1: hmm. is there any uh, do you think there 's any link between the Hyksos rulers and other big patriotic figures in the Bible like Joseph?
2: No, because he has to come earlier. If you think that the Exodus takes place at the end of the 13th dynasty and then the Hyksos come in, then the Hyksos are later than the time of Joseph. Joseph's 215 years before the Exodus. Okay. This is where my head
1: gets boggled. It's trying to get fit, all
2: this stuff in my head. It hurts. Oh, (laughs) never mind. Take a pill. Don't worry about it. We're talking about Joseph at the end of the 12th dynasty. He's a pharaoh, sorry, he's the, uh, the guy who comes in when a king called Amenemhat third is the pharaoh. He's a great ruler. He rules for a long period of time. And in his period, there was a bad, terrible famine. So it all fits together. And so the Israelites are in Egypt for 250 years, what we call the Sojourn period, which yeah. is from the end of the 12th dynasty to the end of the 13th dynasty. That's how it works. And then you have the, the Hyksos period, they're wandering around in, in the in the Israelites, they're wandering around in Sinai for forty years, they then conquer the promised land, they take over, they destroy Jericho, they burn all the other cities, Hatzor and other places, and then that's the judges period that takes all the way all the way through to the kings, Saul, David and Solomon. So that's another 480 years. But don't forget, the Bible says that in the third or fourth year of Solomon's reign, he sets the foundation stone for the Temple of Jerusalem, the Temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem. So, and it's 400 year, 480 years from the time of the Exodus, so you can work backwards from that date to get to 1446 BC for the Exodus. Yeah. It's clear as mud. <laughs> Maybe for you, for a pro... Uh, well, no, not really. To be it, honest with you, I'm getting a bit old for it. It bends my head. Uh, trying to I used to be really him. sharp when I was younger, but I'm not so sharp now, I'm afraid. You mentioned um, so- Solomon's
1: Temple there. Um, yeah. If there was one ancient building that you could visit in its pomp, at its, at its grandest, where, do you th- where would you
2: really like to visit? It wouldn't be the Temple of Solomon. I think it would be the Labyrinth at Hawara. One of the greatest, I mean, Herodotus talks it, one of the most spectacular buildings ever built. And it's, it's, it's called Labyrinth for a good reason, because there were literally hundreds of courts, and you could get lost in it. Now, that was built in front of the pyramid at Hawara of the III, the pharaoh of Joseph's time. So probably Joseph was the architect who designed the labyrinth. I would like to go in that and wander around that. I'd probably never come out again. <laughs> but, but that would be a real building to go and watch. But there are many fantastic buildings uh, in the ancient world, as we know. Well, let's not get on to pyramids, please. Why not? Oh, God. Pyramid idiots and all that stuff. I don't want to get into that. Pyramid. Aliens building, the, building pyramids and stuff. Ancient aliens, yeah. There's a lot of wacky ideas about how oh. they were
1: constructed... I mean, I think it's just the sheer scale, isn't it, that that
2: It's extremely impressive, but think about these people. What did they have? They didn't have TV. They didn't have the internet. (laughs) They didn't spend the whole time messaging people on Facebook or whatever. What did they do? They moved stone about. Mm. That was what they did. They moved mud and stone. They made mud bricks. They cut big stones, and they piled them on top of each other. That's because they had nothing better to do with their lives. Some of
1: the uh, things, rather than the grand things um, that have been discovered in Egypt that interest me are these these diorite bowls, and some of them yeah. have really thin necks. They're yeah, fantastic. Then, and, and, and it just boggles the mind. You think, how on earth, you know, with the technology that they had, the the craftsmanship, yeah, how
2: on earth what, they, they made them? Why do you think the technology was... Necessary to do that. I mean, they had sand, they had drills, and they had water, and you can do amazing things with that if you've got enough time. You know, some of these fantastic statues you see of Egyptians, the 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 amount of work goes into those is astonishing. Also, remember that there was no, you never get anything named by the artist in Egypt. You'll never have a signature on anything, a statue or a, a relief on a wall or a painting in a tomb. It's not signed by anybody. They didn't have artists. They had craftsmen, mm. artisans, and each one did a different part of the process of making the art. So, for instance, a statue would not be made by a single individual. A wall painting would not be done by a single painter there'd be different painters doing p- different parts of it you know drawing out the framework for the the shapes of the figures another guy drawing it all uh, correcting it all from red to black somebody else filling it in cutting back the the relief painting the final final painting on it all those are different guys doing that so it's a t- it's technology but it's technology in terms of skill rather yeah. than what we have today yeah a lot of the conjecture I
1: mean, mainly to do with the pyramids as well, is that they were built by slaves. And it, I think you, be, you're more right saying that it's craftsmen, it's people who are skilled, who are presumably well paid because they're so good at their jobs.
2: No, don't forget the economy is not based on coinage at this stage, okay? So when yeah. you say you paid, what it basically means is they're given certain things. But it, they had something called the corvée system. Basically, the king demanded that the people in the villages, the men, would young men, would come to work on the pyramid for a three-month period, usually during the inundation or what it might be, when they can't farm. But in the time of Khufu, for instance, this maniac who built the <laughs> Great Pyramid, I mean, he actually said, no, 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 I need this monstrous pyramid building. You ain't going back to your villages after you've done your three-month shift. You're sticking it out here, mate, and you're sticking it out till you drop dead. So you might call those slaves, although they're Egyptians. They've turned from a corvée workforce to a slave workforce because he wanted this huge egotistical monument building, and he ruined the economy, him and his son. Kefren or Khafre, ruined the economy, which is why Mike the third you know, king or Menkaure, built a much smaller pyramid. They couldn't afford to do it after that. And after that, of course, there were rubble-filled pyramids with an outer casing of limestone. They couldn't do the job anymore because the, con- the, the actual economy of the country had been shattered by these egomaniacs.
1: And um, is, would you say is it accurate to describe them as tombs? Is that are you of the mind tombs. that that's yeah. why they were that Pharaoh Khufu wanted it as his final resting place? Yeah, of
2: course the tombs. What else could they be? Don't tell me the grain power. Uh, yeah, power plants. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. They're just egotistical monuments, and they just happen to be bur- to be buried in them. But of course, they were ransacked. These pyramids are ransacked by the Hyksos later. The Hyksos, when they took over the country, they used these as mining operations. They took their time to break in and steal all the stuff inside.
1: Yeah, because I presume, like Tutankhamun, when he was buried, he would have been buried with all sorts of incredible grave goods and
2: things to help him in well, the he afterlife. Was. Yeah. Um, know, I mean, Tutankhamun is the one that we do have preserved of what was put in these in, in these tombs. Fortunately, because of the fact he was a nobody, no everybody forgot about him. I mean, you know, the big tombs were the grandiose tombs like Ramesses II is a shattered ruin. We have nothing from inside that tomb at all. But you could just imagine the wealth of it. You know, it's all gone. Yeah. Um- just to go did back. you see that? Did you see that fantastic parade yesterday of the mummies going from the museum, Cairo Museum, to the new National Museum of Civilization? Fantastic! The way the Egyptians today are celebrating those amazing uh, kings and the fact that we have those kings' bodies is just a minor miracle. You tell me of a, of a, a Greek king, Agamemnon, and where's he gone? Where are the Trojan kings? Where are the Babylonian kings? They've all gone. We don't see any of them. The one lot we have are the Egyptian kings of the New Kingdom. Why is that? Why specifically do we have the Egyptian kings and not, like you said, ancient well, Greeks or Romans? two things. First, is, first thing is mummification. So the bodies are preserved, right? And the climate allows that because they're buried in the desert. But the second thing, and the most important thing, is at the end of the 20th dynasty tomb robbers started to go into the Valley of the Kings and, and ransack some of the tombs and plunder the king's body. So the, the last kings of the 20th dynasty and the kings of the 21st dynasty decided to sort bring all the kings together they took them out of their tombs they conveniently stripped them of all their gold of course and removed all the treasures which you know is a quite a nice operation if you think you're doing it out of reverence but actually you're just putting it all in your bank account mm. and then once they've done that they then take them all up into a secret hiding place called the royal cash and they buried them all together in there and that was discovered uh, in, the, in the 18th century 19th century, about the middle of the 19th century by some, some guy called the Rasul brothers, they're the ones who found it and the Egyptian government got to hear about it and managed to beat the hell out of these guys to get them to, to tell them where this tomb was and so they went and found the tomb and they found what 30 odd mummies of the royal, royals of the new kingdom in there and they carted them all down to the, British, uh, the Egyptian museum which is why we see them today. Right. So, so were... you can look upon the face of Ramesses II and say hello to him but you can't <laughs> do that with Agamemnon Right so they were preserved by, uh, by later kings Yep absolutely Conveniently for them, because all the treasure was ripped away. Yeah, well, um, in fact, the, the guy who did it, King Herio, his tomb's never been found, so it must be crammed full of treasure.
1: <laughs> Just to go back to your your, uh, your new chronology, David, mm? I was wondering, does this affect, as well as you mentioned the the removal of the Greek Dark Age? Yeah, does it affect? other empires of, like, the Near East, like Babylon, the Babylonian timeline, the Syrians?
2: Okay, that's a good question. The Babylonians have an independent chronology, okay, and the Assyrians. The Mesopotamian kings do have a dating system, they call the limo lists. In other words, they, they have an annual head of uh, the government, if you like, or the, the assembly. And each year we have those lists of named kings, but they only go back to about nine eleven. BC, before they start to fragment, and we don't have the entire list before that. So it's fairly secure up to about 911 BC, and after that, it's a bit of a problem. So they are independent of the Egyptians, and so there's a whole chronology that goes side by side. But of course, the Babylonians only come and the, and the Assyrians only come into the Bible story much, much later. In, in the time of King Ahab and Omri and those guys, the sort of middle of the what we call the divided monarchy period, in other words, way after Solomon. So they only play a role in dating the biblical or making synchronisms with the biblical kings in that later period. For the earlier stuff, we have the relationship between the Bible uh, or the Old Testament and Egypt to work with. That's what we work with there. Right, because we, we hear about
1: Neo-Babylonians, Babylonians and Neo-Babylonians and Assyrians and... Neo-Assyrians. (laughs)
2: Neo-Assyrians. just means new Assyrians, new Babylonians. Basically, there are older Assyrian groups, uh, Ashur, and of course in Babylon Babylon you have the Hammurabi dynasty going well back to the old Babylonian period. You know, Hammurabi was a great king and he had this fantastic library uh, of of tablets which told the the story of the book of Genesis, basically. They're individual stories, but they're certainly very, very similar to what we have in the the book of Genesis. And presumably this where the Babylonian
1: timeline starts to fragment around 900, is that due to the collapse that Eric Klein talks about?
2: No, not really. It's, it's more to do with the fact that the eponym lists that we have are not preserved for that period in a complete list. They're a bit broken up. People try to piece it all together, and they've done a reasonably good job of it, but it's quite complex. That period is what we call a dark age in, in Mesopotamian history, too. There's a sort of a, a period where we're not quite sure about what's going on for the previous 200 years. Then it gets more solid again for the earlier period. So some some scholars in Mesopotamian history try to overlap those kings, like saying them perhaps there was more than one king's line at the same time like there was in Egypt later on as well so it's all in this dark age period when we get the confusion yes yeah yeah because I mean yeah we
1: Eric Klein talks about this sort of G7 he calls it of the Mediterranean world where all these sort of successful civilizations are are very well connected via trade and intermarrying and politically they're connected yeah. and uh, it's like a domino
2: effect, and they sort it of fall is. down. It, 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 that's what we call the Golden Age. Yeah. The, go, the late Bronze is just the Golden Age, with all the kings trading with each other, they call each other brother, all the rest of it. It's a fantastic thing. And then these bloody idiot Greeks go off and attack Troy, and it all falls <laughs> to pieces. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, yes, there was a climate issue. Eric's absolutely right about that. What Eric's done, and it's a genius book, 1177, he's brought all these elements together, the climate, the earthquakes, the sea people's invasions, the the Trojan War, and he's brought them all together and created a fantastic story, which I'm sure is true. But what he doesn't do is explain what happened in the next 300 years. Okay, and that's the key. Is it that big a disaster? Is it so bad that for three hundred years we have nothing, or is it simply a fact we've created that three hundred years to make that collapse more great than it really was? Wow, that's really
1: interesting. Hey, you brought up that was something I really want to ask you: the sea peoples. Yep. Does, does the new chronology affect or uh, the identity, a, a potential identity, identity of the sea peoples?
2: Yeah. Because they are post-Trojan War, and they are certainly triggered by the Trojan War. So most of these these guys that you see in the Sea Peoples group are from the Aegean or from coastal Anatolia, coastal, coastal Turkey. Okay, so they are post-Trojan War. They're not refugees, exactly, but they're looking for something new. It's been driven by climate change. It's been driven by the Trojan War. It's been driven by the collapse of Mycenaean civilization. All those forces are at work here. And the guy who led the invasion down into Egypt, down into the, in Canaan, from that period is called Mopsus. Okay, He is actually uh, a guy who was of the generation of the Trojan War. He, he was a king of, uh, of southwest Anatolia. Okay. And he actually led them. And he's actually mentioned in texts that we find in Turkey, in Anatolia. Uh, and Mopsu Hestia, a town on the eastern side of Turkey and the south, is actually named after him. It means the hearth of Mopsus. So he founded it. Okay. And he apparently was killed at Ashkelon. Which is where approximately the Egyptians fought the Sea Peoples. So he's probably one of the leaders who was killed by the Egyptians at the time, as far as we can tell. But these people are actually migrating as a result of the collapse, but primarily because of the Trojan War and the effect it had on everybody. Do you not think any of the Sea Peoples could have been from further west? from Italian peninsula I don't, sardinia I don't personally i don't put I mean, the sardana for instance mm. the sardana everybody says oh sardinians yes but was it that they came from sardinia or they went to sardinia right because sardinia is named after them okay i believe the sardana from sardis in anatolia right yeah. okay and what that, and that's what the the Shardana, or that what the people of sardis actually say they say they migrated westwards towards italy so and, and we have the, the DNA of the cattle from that region has been found in Etruria in, Etru- in, Etru- in, Etru- in, in in Italy. So they actually brought their cows with them, their bulls with them, so that they could bring them to Italy. And the Etruscans were actually descended from the Sardinians or the Sa- the Shardana, and part of them went to Sardinia and became and that was named after Shardana. Wow! So we're getting back to the sort of founding of Rome and the Italian Peninsula, then aren't we? Absolutely. This so-called colonization movement westward, there's no big 300-year gap. It comes right after the Trojan War. Okay, so they they fail in their attack upon Egypt, and some of them then migrate west and found Carthage in 825 BC. Okay, and that's Dido coming across from from Tyre, Sidon and Tyre, across there. And of course, don't forget the Caesars themselves claim to have come from Troy. They're descended from the Trojans. Okay, so... Julius is Illus, and Illus was the Willios, which is, which is the name for Troy, Ilios, or the Iliad. Okay, so he claimed to be descended from Troy. So those first five, so called five great Caesars, were actually claiming on their coinage to be descendants of the Trojans. It definitely,
1: definitely makes sense. You talk about people migrating from Sartis to what was known as Etruria. If you've yep. just got sort of nomadic herdsmen living in northern Italy, for example, and then you have a foot, you know, refugees or people escaping a more advanced civilization moving westwards, landing yep. in what is what was known as Truria, that they would be advantaged, they would have an advantage to take over, they would probably have better farming methods, whatnot, and because they yep.
2: were the dominant power before. Before Rome, weren't they, the Etrians, the Truscans? Exactly, and you also have Aeneas coming to Carthage and then coming up to Italy and founding a city called Lavinia. And Lavinia is the foundation of the so-called Roman kings. Well, the Roman kings come from Aeneas, so we have the king's period in Roman history, and that, of course, is Romulus and Remus going on for this, about five or six kings. Then we have the republic, then we have the emperors, okay, okay. so it, the empire period. So it all stems from Aeneas coming to um, to western Italy, and the Sardinians, or the Shardana, going to slightly further north, and, and they, they are Etruscans, and you also have them in Sardinia. So this movement westwards is all post-Trojan War. And
1: would this be related, there was um, a sort of Greek expansion to Italy, wasn't there, before the Roman Empire, there was Greek settlements all over the Italian peninsula, would this be
2: related as well? They are related. They are they are the foundation of the Greeks moving westwards. Absolutely, and that again, there's no 300 year gap. We call it the colonisation movement. So you have okay. the Trojan War, you have a 300 year Dark Age, and you have the colonisation movement, which is the westward movement of the Greeks and the and the Phoenicians. Okay, but if you get rid of the Trojan War, it happens. Imi- sorry, you get rid of the Dark Age, it happens immediately after the Trojan War. Makes complete sense to me. I'm sold just oh, to me too. Sold, but Harry yeah. doesn't buy it. Eric doesn't buy it because he's fixed on Egyptian chronology. what, what he that, accepts it.
1: What has been the reception in academia to your work?
2: It's it's a long story, really. I mean, I, I started this in the 1970s. Okay. And then uh, I did uh, sort of like the book came out and everybody went crazy. The first book, Attested Time. We had the Pharaohs and Kings TV series. And they all thought, ah, a load of rubbish. This is the academics, of course. But the rest of the population loved it, they didn't like that at all. <laughs> you know we, I was it, the fact that you got this cranky old egyptologist well, I wasn't actually young at the time, but anyway this 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 Egyptologist who got to number two in the Sunday Times bestseller list for eight weeks. And the only reason I didn't get back to number one was because that silly um, American who was writing about the stories from a small island, whatever he was called, he sat on number one spot for the eight weeks. I couldn't get there, couldn't get to number one. But they'd never had an Egyptology book sitting at number two in the bestsellers list for that long. So they didn't like that at all. Uh, But so, yes, so you had a lot of criticisms. Uh, The guys who were at university with me, though, PhD students, now professors themselves and doctors, they were quite keen on it. So the younger ones came along, and funny enough, the more senior ones, the really the ones that are now my age, that were in those days my age, um, they were actually much more open minded It was the middle-ranking ones that didn't like it too much. Right. Uh, you know, like the the people at the British Museum and stuff like that, they didn't like it very much. The British Museum banned my book. They wouldn't, <laughs> they w- they wouldn't sell it in the British Museum bookshop. They refused to sell it. So there you go. So... As I mature and as they mature and as the world matures, people are beginning you know, to think of it as quite, quite interesting, quite a novel idea. What they do do is, now what they say now is, well, all your Exodus stuff is fantastic and it all works and you found Joseph and all the rest of it. But what about the rest of it that goes after that? That doesn't work, does it? Which is why I'm now writing these books about filling in the gap between the Exodus all the way through to the, the, the kings in the Bible and Egyptian history and trying to piece that whole thing together to show it does work for the whole period. You mentioned the new book there. Tell us about the new book. Is that a Guinness you've got? Eh? It's not. It is
1: a Tongerlo. Oh that?
3: snap!
2: Authentic um, Trappist one, isn't it? A... Are, you, are, are you? Are you? Are you? Been drawn to alcohol because of what I'm talking to you about? It's genuine Belgian <laughs> Abbey <laughs> beer. Anderson. How is it? <laughs> You can't cope, so you're hitting the bottle. No, wait, it's
1: a bank holiday. Let me off. Oh,
2: is it? All right, then. Let me is off. Is that why right, I'm yeah. on today? Because it's a bank holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I showed you earlier on before you went on air, and, you know, you've got to see this, because your your viewers must read that. You know, you've got to read that. Ah, there. Yes. You know, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Everybody, every Egyptologist has one of these mugs. <laughs> so you've had uh, a...
0: Exactly.
2: So you've been given a bit of a rough ride by the traditional Egyptologists. Yeah, but I'm Mancunian, for God's sakes. I can handle it. If you can be a Manchester United supporter, you can take all sorts of shit. No problems. There was a famous quote. I think it might have been
1: Feynman who said something about, uh, what was it, science progresses at the death of a professor or something. I can't remember.
2: Uh, yeah, there's that one, isn't there? What, I, I think it was Max Planck or somebody Max like him, anyway. Who said that a new idea, when it's introduced to academia, they first of all reject it utterly and, and t- call it nonsense, and then later on, when that generation has died off, the new generation comes along and says, "Well, it actually isn't nonsense after all." And that's the thing: is you've got to wait for a generation to go. Look at continental drift theory. Look how long it took for that to get accepted. The It was like 25 years or so before people started to realise it made sense. Yeah, science is very good at making small
1: steps, but, you know, you, you have yeah. to admit that what you're proposing... It's a
2: giant leap, isn't it? It's extremely radical, no doubt about that. And I was well aware that it was radical right from the start. I mean, one, one of the great concerns I had was that um, people wouldn't take me seriously. Um, so I went and, and so I've been doing all this research since the 1970s, so... Um, I went and actually got to university to actually get all the qualifications. So they couldn't turn around and say that I was like a, another madman, you know, because I'd done the thing. I'd yeah. done the research. I know the methodologies and all the rest of it. So I spent, well, a long time at university. I got my BA and I went on to, to do an MA. And then I, was, I nearly completed the PhD. But unfortunately, what happened with the PhD was that, I went and gave a lecture to the Egypt Exploration Society in London, which is the big Egyptology group in the UK. And there was a literary agent uh, in the audience. I didn't know he was there. And at the end of the lecture, I talked about the chronology and all the rest of it. And then he came up to me at the end when everybody had gone and said, do you have representation? Does anybody represent you? I said, no, I'm, I'm just a student, for God's sake, you know, doing a PhD. He said, well, will you come to my office in Harley Street? So, oh, no, it was Baker Street, I beg your pardon, Baker Street. And and um, within what f- eight weeks, I'd got a book, pu- book publishing contract <laughs> with Random House. I got a TV series from Channel Four. I'd got another TV series from Discovery Channel in America. They flew me over to to meet the head of Discovery Channel, and we did a whole thing there. And I got an, I got a number two bestseller in the charts. And so they turned around and said, "Well, hang on a minute, that was your PhD." You cannot, and according to the rules at London University, you cannot pre publish your PhD. So, although I was collecting nice lots of DOSH for doing all this stuff, okay, they said, oh, well, if you're going to continue your PhD, you have to completely change it to another subject. I sort of off. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you don't you don't really need it at that point. I didn't I,
2: I didn't need it. I had new book contracts. I had fulfilments. I had lecture tours and all sorts of stuff going on. So I yeah. couldn't start again, you know, doing something like uh, a, a book, a, a PhD on Pharaoh's flowers or something, you know, which is what <laughs> one PhD was famously uh, labelled. <laughs> There was another there was another PhD a brilliant PhD that I remember from an Israeli specialist to a student she was a really brilliant student and she did her entire 5 years research on scratch marks on sickle blades, um, you know, the, the asses' jaws that were used for cutting down corn. She would, microscopically analysed the blades to look at the scratch marks to find out whether the the blades were cut down with a left to right action or a right to left action. That was her entire PhD, <sighs> and when and when she pres- presented it to the to the audience, I put my hand up and said, "What if they're left handed?" She said oh, I'd never thought of that. And so, obviously, if a left-handed person does it, you can't, you can't tell whether the scratches are from one direction or the other. So that's what PhDs are. Well, and They're really a rather strange thing, PhDs. This is one of the great
1: advantages of modern science, but I also think it's one of our Achilles heels, is this hyper-specialization that we have. Sure. And right. We need more people who are synthesising and looking at the bigger picture and multidisciplinary.
2: multidisciplinary. That's, well, exactly. That's why I founded the Institute for the Study of Interdisciplinary Sciences, because it's precisely that. It's bringing together specialists from different sciences, different disciplines, to work together towards to try to achieve an aim, and that's really where I am. I'm a multidisciplinarian. I'm not a specialist in any one area, so I, you know, I know a little bit about Greek history, archaeology, Anatolian archaeology, Mesopotamian archaeology, Levantine archaeology. I did a lot of this at university. And, of course, Old Testament um, scholarship, Egyptology, Egyptian archaeology, all those things are all, and I actually did also a bit of Roman as well. So I have a mixture of stuff, and I've got a broad uh, understanding of the whole thing. You need to do that to integrate it all. Yeah, because it's all connected. It is all connected, but a lot of disciplines are not connected. This is the problem, yeah. Yeah. They don't talk to it until a lot of the time, although it's changing now. It didn't used to be like it is now. It used to be much more difficult to talk to a Mesopotamian scholar or to talk to a, a Greek um, Mycenaean scholar or a Minoan scholar, for instance. Uh, you know, I remember Professor Colstrum, I used to go to his um, fantastic seminars on Mycenaean and Minoan archaeology, and they were wonderful because he was integrating the Mycenaean cultures with the Minoan cultures and seeing how they all integrated and worked together. And he was a great scholar, He still is, of course.
1: Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about which I've asked previous experts in the ancient world and it's one of these things that nags at me is this question of longevity in the ancient world because a lot of people I guess like me we grew up with this idea in our head that in the ancient world everyone got to 35 and then dropped dead and it seems to me that you know I, I was re um if you take Ramses the second or Sophocles, you can find various mm-hmm. examples of people
2: living to the age of ninety yep. whats your, what's your view God. what's your view on longevity well, well yeah well, the trouble is you then get into the thing like you know what about the patriarchal ages you know. so all right Joseph one hundred and ten years, I can just about buy that, especially you have Egyptian texts that saying the perfect age is one hundred and ten years. So, we actually have ancient documents saying that. So, that was what people aimed for, not what they achieved, what they aimed for. And then you've got others in the Bible, you know, people, the the early patriarchs in Genesis, just, you know, 900 years. Methuselah, you know, what what does that mean for God's sakes? So it's a problem. However, you're right in the first thing you said, which is when you analyze the cemeteries uh, in Egypt, the Roman ones and even the earlier ones at Avaris in the Middle Bronze Age, right? The typical age that people reached, adults' age, was around 32 for men and 35 for women. Right. that was the average okay, and that's eliminating all the infant burials that took place earlier so if you manage to get to 10 then you're classified as an adult and if you look at those they're talking about a typical average age of about 35 years maximum but we do have other people that obviously lived longer than that well you can't compare Ramesses Second with his diet to some farmer down the road because Ramesses II was looked after look at our queen now Look at her age. Look at, you know, the, uh, her husband. Look at their ages. Now, they're not typical, although we are getting some people living to that age. But it's all to do with diet and how you looked after and what you have to do in life, how, how hard your life was. These guys who are living in Avaris in the Middle Bronze Age, they had a terrible life. You could tell from the bones they've been analyzed. You know, they have Harris lines in them. They're, they're partially starving. They're hungry. They're overworked. They are probably slaves. Okay, and they're probably Hebrew slaves. So you know, because this is the time we've got the sojourn and the slavery period. So yes, they will have short lifespans. I can't tell you why the Bible says, and some of the Sumerian kings lists say that the people lived for hundreds of years. I can't tell you why that is. I've no idea. No, no, it, it was more the
1: general average farmer I'm, I'm thinking of. And what you say makes sense, that it's it's the general hardship of the conditions that they're living in. If I went back to that period and lived in a family at that time, then just yeah. the, the daily grind of life and the yeah. lack of provision
2: would see me off in my mid-30s more, you know. Absolutely, but if you're a noble... And you have a different diet and you're not working in the fields, you'll live a lot longer. Yeah. But it's very interesting, you see, because then you have to think about family planning. Because if your life expectancy is 35, when are you going to start thinking about children?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: At the age of 12, 13, 14?
0: Yeah, who's going, going to raise He's Who's going to, to raise your 30?
2: Him. You're not going to hang around till you're 30, are you, to have children? So, you know, you've got to think about that element of it as well. So when you're thinking about how long a generation is, and don't forget, define a generation. It's, it's from your birth to the birth of your eldest surviving son. That is a generation. And you need to get that male, the surviving male to live before you pop, pop your clogs, all right? So you're starting to have children at the age of 13, 14. You may get, uh, after your ter- second or third attempt, you may get a, a surviving male heir, okay? But then, you know, you're probably 19 at that point. You've got to raise that kid before you die. So you've got to think about those sorts of things when you think about how long a generation was because we have genealogies. Ancient genealogies, and you've got to work out, well, what is a generation? And I reckon a generation is about 22 to 23 years maximum. It's not 30 or 40 like the Greeks would say. Um, So, you know, so you've got a a generation that long. And if you then add them all up together, you get a chronology, or at least you get a, a general chronology of the time period using these genealogies. I suppose part of the problem is is that
1: we have more written evidence for nobles and kings and such like in, in how they lived and what maybe their yep. general standard of living is. Do we have much written evidence? You know, I'm guessing most of these farmers in the ancient world weren't even
2: literate. No, they weren't. So when you look at Egyptian temples, what do you have on the outside walls of the temple where the common folk could go? You have the front page of the Sun newspaper. <laughs> Okay, so you have big paintings of the Pharaoh and his chariot smiting the enemies and loads of texts. <laughs> but they can't read the bloody text. They just look at the big pictures. Yeah. That's what their job is. They weren't inside, they weren't allowed inside the temples. So those, those are the newspapers of the day, those, those outer walls of the temples with all these big reliefs on of the campaigns of the king showing how pra- great they were and what, who the enemy were that they defeated. That's what the ordinary folks saw. The intellectuals, the readers, they could go inside the temple. The priests and the officials could go inside the temple and read the inscriptions there the historical records. Then they could do the reading. But of course, then they had plays. They performed in front of the temples the events. So the king would, you know, he would bring back a few captives from a battle somewhere, and he'd the, the this guy by the hair and he'd smack him on the head with a, with a mace and crush his head in, and the people would all applaud. That's what the ceremonial war was for them in front, so they could get these plays, these enactments of the king doing his job that he'd done 50 miles up north in, in the Levant. Bread and circuses. Absolutely. That's what they came for. That's what they came to see. I'm sure they were doing that all
1: the time. Did they have, like, in in Egypt, did they have, like, an equivalent of the the
2: amphitheatres? Nothing like that, as far as we know. We don't have any structures like that. But they would have used the temple forecourts uh, in front of the pylons as their staging for the populations. So I'm sure they had ritual killings. I'm sure that happened. Uh, The king or or his officials would smite their enemies in front of crowds that they brought back from these, these battles.
1: And presumably, would there have been, like, public um, capital punishment and corporal punishment in ancient
2: Egypt? I'm sure there was. There's no doubt about that. I mean, let's face it, the ancient world was not a pleasant place. You know, I mean, most you wouldn't want to live there because, as you say, life expectancy was pretty short, and that's another reason why life expectancy was short, because you'd end up getting killed pretty quick if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And look at the citizens of Jericho, 2,000 of them, slaughtered by Joshua and his people. You know, so it wasn't a pretty place to be, to be honest. If you were lucky enough to be a noble, you could probably have a decent life. But if you weren't, if you were in the army and you were actually, you know, part of that and you were sent off to go and fight a war somewhere, you didn't want to fight, you probably wouldn't survive that.
1: No, it makes you wonder how people coped back in those days, even with just average day-to-day life, the fortitude. I mean, I guess it's just a, a, a basic survival instinct, is it, do you think?
2: Well, it's that, and it's this word, life expectancy. It's what you expect. We don't expect to die at thirty-five; we expect to die at seventy-five, eighty. Yeah. So, it's what you expect. If you know your life is only going to be thirty-five years, you live it to the the best you possibly can. You don't expect it to be much greater than that, unless you're a noble. Did Did they have time for for recreation? In ancient Egypt? What What they would they to get, do? They used to sex and drugs and drinking. <laughs> What drugs? Uh, well, I don't Asking know. Asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we don't know. They had beer, don't forget. Um, but yeah, I mean, they get pissed as newts. I mean, they were really. They used an hour to celebrate. There was a festival called the Festival of Drunkenness which is dedicated to the goddess Hathor, the mother goddess, the cow goddess, the golden cow, basically, or the golden calf she was, actually. Mm. Uh, and, and they would just have debauchery for 24 hours. They'd just go bonkers with it, you know. They'd have sex with everybody else. They'd, they'd all play instruments and sing and get pissed and all the thing. And they'd wake up with a ginormous headache the next morning. <laughs> Uh, and that's what's happening with the golden calf at Sinai, because the Israelites who were in Egypt as slaves had not forgotten that ritual, and when Moses tried to tell them to behave and he went up the mountain for 40 days, they ended up getting pissed and having sex in front of the golden calf, which is Hattor. Do you, um, do you think they were drinking
1: traditional or standard alcohol, or do you think that it was spiked with
2: psychedelics? I wouldn't know. Uh, it depends on where you get these drugs from because don't forget, there's probably no contact with the Americas at this time. So it depends on what's available. Opium is certainly available and we know that that was coming from Crete and places like that. So they certainly had that. But ordinary folk, as opposed to the nobles, probably couldn't afford it. So well, they're more likely just to be doing the beer and the sex, which is probably enough to be quite honest. There was an interesting book came out, I think it was last year, or it might have been
1: the year before by Brian... Murarescu, I think he's called, called right. the, the Immortality Key, and he's been All looking right. into um, the ancient mystery schools, e- and uh, he actually referenced Eric Klein's work at Tel Kabri because I think uh-huh. um, they found a big wine or, wine cellar or something at Tel Cabri. Yeah. and uh, yeah, he's he's been his book is sort of making the argument that a lot of this wine that was drunk, particularly in the mystery schools, was spiked with ergot, and it was it was oh, being yeah. used Whoa. as a psychedelic.
2: Right. It's uh, yeah. entirely possible. The question is, where you, what's your source for these drugs? That's the first thing you have to find out, isn't it? If it's, if it's Mesoamerica or South America, you're in trouble, uh, unless you actually believe that there, there was contact across the Atlantic. And we don't really have any evidence that that's all the Phoenicians. We, we do have a Phoenician shipwreck off the coast of Brazil. Really? Yes, with Carthaginian amphorae and stack of, stacked inside the boat. Um, so we know the Phoenicians were actually crossing the Atlantic. God, don't forget, they went all the way around Africa in the time of Necho, King Necho of Egypt. They, went and they navigated the entire coastline of Africa, came back through the Mediterranean again. They left Egypt and went all the way around. So, uh, yeah, we know that they were there, and we, have, and we say we have this shipwreck off the coast of Brazil. We have Roman um, terracottas in Mexico. So we do have contact across Atlantic, but whether it can go back as early as the Middle Bronze Age or the Late Bronze Age, I'm not sure.
1: What uh, what year was the Phoenician shipwreck in Brazil from roughly?
2: It's Carthaginian, so we're talking probably oh. about seventh century, something like that. Seven, so maybe sixth century. Wow. Yeah, it's it's sort of again
1: you have grown up with this, you know, you're taught in school that Christopher Columbus discovered oh, America, come on, you know. Man.
2: The Irish were there long before that, <laughs> and the Vikings, and the Vikings, of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no, 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 no. Don't forget, you've got currents that take you. You can literally go from uh, the coast of Africa or the Straits of Gibraltar, and it could take you on a southern route and all the way across to to the um, to the Gulf of Mexico. No problems. You just follow the current. Yeah, you just need and the same, you and craft. you return on the Gulf the Gulf Stream coming back the other way. <clears throat> So I don't have a problem with that, but whether you could take it back as far as the Bronze Ages, I'm not quite sure about that. So it would depend on what your source is for the the materials, for your drugs. (laughs) Well, um, tell us about your new book before we go,
1: because we've gone over an hour already, David. You've got a new book coming out soon, haven't you?
2: Yeah, the new book, I've just finished it. Uh, I just finished the proofreading, which took forever. It's basically a continuation of my last book. So the last book was called Exodus, Myth or History, and that did the sort of Exodus all the way through to the Conquest, basically. So that was a big book that was published in the States, very popular. Uh, and this is the continuation. Now, although I do a refresher on what happened in the, in the time of the Sojourn and Exodus and Conquest with new material that's come up in the last two or three years, it then continues on through the Judges period all the way through to the time of Saul. That's the first volume in this two- volume book, uh, And it gives you all the archaeology and the connections between the archaeology and the Old Testament and Egyptian history to link them all together. Then the set, volume two, which is going to be, I've nearly finished it, that's going to be coming out a little bit later. Uh, that one goes from the time of King David all the way through to the sack of the temple by the Babylonians. Uh, in Jerusalem. So it will take the whole of Israelite history and looking at the archaeology in this new chronology, this new timeline that we've created, looking at where the synchronisms are, which kings were which, who was the pharaoh whose daughter married King Solomon for instance is a question that's addressed, that type of thing. And looking at the archaeology now they're all colour books so they're hardbacks, they're 416 pages in size, they're on art paper, they've got like 350 coloured pictures in there, diagrams charts maps the works uh, lots of great photos and so it's a book where you can see the evidence for yourself I don't believe in writing a book without showing the evidence to the people who are reading the book so those two books will be out probably in the next within the next 12 months Um, and the only trouble is they're probably going to be published in America right which is a bit difficult then for the Brits to get hold of copies. But then, of course, we've got the e-books. So people can get a Kindle version or a Mac version of those same books and they get all the full colour in there. So if you can't order the book from the States because it's so expensive, to push it over, it oh. it's, oh, it's, just, uh, um, then it's... it's
1: polished. I think it's back. Your camera's frozen, but are you still there, David?
2: No, (laughs) I think he's gone. Well, we've just wrapped up over an hour. Frozen. Oh,
1: there we go. Are we back? Yeah, your camera's frozen. Your kids. Your camera's frozen. Oh, you're back. I think you're back.
2: Oh, Mike, your camera's frozen too. So you're all looking very still to me. (laughs) Oh, we can hear you again. That's the main thing. Yeah, you're you're all looking frozen in time to me. You're all all like. Oh no! Oh, oh there, oh, you, go. there you go. We're back again. Oh, Shall we go. start again. Then should we start at the beginning again? First? Yeah. So, so <laughs> this read this new chronology, David. <laughs> yeah. Now listen. Why are we not talking to you two guys? They've not done anything. because um, we just listen. Yeah, we're learning. But, we talk, we... but you do that. Yeah, we well, do that all the time. Then come on, ask me some questions. We don't care about the time. How long is this thing supposed to run for? An hour. Oh, can it, it can run a bit longer than that, can't it? At least ask me one question, for goodness sakes. Yeah. I know you've had a big dinner for your Sunday roast today, but come on.
4: I suppose the question that kind of comes to my mind is yeah, yeah. Um, I think you kind of hit upon it, really, when you're talking about sort of, um, you know, it takes a generation before a new idea is accepted. Yeah. yeah. So do you think a lot of the reason why. Um, that new ideas aren't accepted is because people's careers are on the line kind of thing.
2: Yeah, of course it is. Um, people who are in universities don't want to start taking on and agreeing with very revolutionary ideas. And this is revolutionary, isn't it? You've got to admit it's radical. Okay, mm-hmm. universities aren't radical places. Okay, perhaps in science they are. Mm-hmm. In science you can be radical, but I don't think you can in the arts, especially in history. Yeah. Alright, there are some art archy... you.
1: It's just breaking up again. Ooh,
2: it's, way 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 way. Way. it's
1: on the top of a mountain
2: somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> if you want. Oh, uh, no. in half art. But uh, it's a rock book. So I'm going to be never accepted. There we go. <laughs>
1: I think he's back <laughs>
2: yeah we've just got some uh,
1: some connection issues but some. not to worry just give it a minute yeah considering like we've been online now for about a year We've had, we have not really had any catastrophic failures with the technology. Oh, well, well
2: you have yeah, now. I know what it is. It's Eric back over in the <laughs> States. He's messing around with the internet.
3: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> he's at really the control. No, actually, Eric's a great bloke. I actually went and had a debate with him in Washington uh, on this whole thing, and he was really charming and, and a really, really great scholar. So we had great fun debating in front of a huge audience. But the only trouble is he got two mates along with him, so it was three against one. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very sporting. No, it wasn't exactly. He had one Hebrew scholar, Hebrew textual scholar. He had one Egypt Egyptologist, and of course he's a classical historian as well. So I was up against it. But I, I reckon I did quite well anyway. So um, they couldn't. The only thing they could come up with is radiocarbon dating. It wasn't anything else that they could actually uh, challenge me on. But anyway, it was great fun, and he's a lovely bloke. Yeah, definitely. I think
4: the other thing as well is like what we sort of talked about there is that if he's to, I think he's still employed by the university, isn't he? I assume he must have. Is it called tenure? You know where you can kind of get away with saying yes.
2: Yeah, he's, a he's, bit. A, he's at um, George Washington University. Yeah, in, in Washington DC. Yeah, but I mean, he's very open-minded. Actually, mm-hmm. is Eric? they are a lot much much worse than he is, um, and and he's prepared to listen. And, In fact, he actually bought my last book and read it, Daftbagger. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, he, he doesn't he doesn't mess around. And one of the biggest problems I have with scholars is they don't know what my work is. Right. They, you know, they don't mm-hmm. actually read it to find out what it is. But at least Eric did that. You know, and, and that's great that he did that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to convince people have their minds. Uh, set really, it's quite difficult, but I um, mean, you know, what, what you know, what that I you know, sticks and stones and all that, it doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is I'm reaching the people and uh, the people are really interested in the subject area. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's say, it, you, I,
5: you don't have to change the minds of academics, do you really, if you're reaching the, the minds of the people?
2: Well, that's absolutely right, but look what happened to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean, we are at the right time of year for that, aren't we? Good Friday yeah. through to Easter Sunday. But you know, y- you can you can rail the authorities. Thank God these days they don't crucify people, but uh, they do it in a literary sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you yeah, think- I mean, they, 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 I would never get, a, for instance, I'd never get a, a paper published in a in a, in a academic uh, journal or anything like that. It's not going to be possible. Mm. But you know that's the name of the game. You just have to play the game. I suppose then you know when you mentioned right towards the beginning as well
4: that there's evidence in the British Museum between sort of correspondence between two kings would kind of be unexplainable without um,
1: Sol and someone
4: else yeah. on the Egyptians. Yeah. So it what's may, what's yeah. the explanation? What's their explanation saying that
2: that's. Okay. Well, what, the really famous sort of doyen of Israeli archaeology is called Israel Finkelstein, Tel Aviv University. He's the great, you know, the great archaeologist of Israel. And he, and and what I've done is I've made the time of the the Amarna period of Akhenaten the same time as King Saul so that's because of the new chronology revision right but in the conventional dating they're 300 years apart so Israel Finkelstein writes this great article which basically says that Saul is the last labaya and Labiah is the name of the king who is actually Saul in the Alamana letters. So he's actually saying they're exactly the same, Labiah and, and Saul, but they're separated by 300 years, so they can't be the same person. Well, I've said, well, if you take the letters of Labiah and you learn what he's having to say, it matches exactly the story of, of Saul. And he's fighting against the Philistines. The details are so amazing that they both die in the same place in, this, in a battle. They both have sons who, who are... Uh, consorting with the Habiru, the Hebrews, and that's David and Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's eldest son and crown prince, and he ends up uh, going and working with David the rebel, the Hebrew rebel. So the stories fit beautifully, and, and the texts are identical, and the territories that they rule over are identical, but, of course, Finkelstein cannot make them the same person mm. because he he believes the 300 years separated between them. So they kind of just saying that it's a coincidence then? That those yeah, they're basically saying what a like... remarkable coincidence is what they're <laughs> <a remarkable laughs> so, yeah. you know, so, so it is remarkable, but it's actually the same buggers. <laughs> in so you've got, I mean, Labaya, all right, doesn't sound much like Saul, does it? But this name Saul, for instance, is actually is actually a traditional name for him. It's not the name he was born with. Because it means asked for, because he was the king asked for by the people. You know, they went to Samuel and said, we want a king like all the other nations. So he was asked for. So that's a traditional name. That's not the name he was born with. The name he was born with is Labiah, which means the Lion of Yah. And Yah is the short form of Yahweh. Wow. So, and, and Solomon, Solomon's name means peace. That wasn't the name he was born with. He was called Jedidiah. Okay, but it was mm-hmm. given to him later. So these kings, David might have actually had a name that was his name, although well, his name was probably Dadua or something like that, or Dude. And that that means the beloved, the beloved of Yar or whatever it might be. So he might have actually got a name that stuck, but the other two, their names, their original names, were actually not the names that we get in the Old Testament today. But the events in their reigns are the same. Fascinating. Oh. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You look. You all look exhausted. You know, You probably run out of beer for starters. Yeah, I'm ready for a refill. Well, David, I'm drinking mm-hmm. rum tonight. So, <laughs> have you finished with me, or do you want some more? I, was well,
1: I think we should let you go. We've we've done yeah. an hour and fifteen minutes. We don't want to take yeah. up too much of your time,
2: time, David. Yeah, I, I must admit, I feel a bit lethargic today. And normally, I'm much brighter than this. I'm sorry, Loz, I've been a bit slow. <laughs> You're saying you you've always turned. come back. Oh, no. you know. Yeah, you <laughs> come back. Yeah, you'll have to come yeah, back. Well, yeah, yeah. It, me back. It, it, invite me back anytime you like. You can talk about whatever you like. If you want to talk about early Christianity or the Holy Grail or anything like that. Uh, yeah. Or the, mu- all the music Jones, industry. Yeah. Yes. If you want to know all the secrets about the music and through the dirt and all the rest of yeah, it, you yeah. know, just bring yes. me back and I'll talk about it, okay? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for your time, David. Uh, well, it's all right. It's what, my, my pleasure.
2: It's nice to have some northerners to talk to for a change. Where's, where's, <laughs> the, where's the best place for people to follow you and follow your work? Oh, I don't want to have silly websites and stuff like that. So you can just join me on Facebook if you want to keep up with what the news is. I've got the most fantastic cruise coming up now, cruise from Cairo all the way down to Luxor, looking at all the stuff that people normally don't get to see. And that's, that's wonderful. That's going out next year. Um, which is mm-hmm. good fun. And I also do a lot of cruises, you know, big ship cruises. So I do lectures on them. So if you've got loads of money <laughs> and, you, and you don't mind going on, on the sea or on the Nile, then you can join me on those and you can have some proper lectures, not this nonsense, but real lectures <laughs> with loads of visuals. I mean, I haven't even shown you any visuals. You've just We've just been chatting. Oh, yeah. So, And by the way, you need, to ch- you need to change that wallpaper. It really is very, very weird on the screen there. It's all... <laughs> Well, I'll be back in the studio soon, so yeah, I'd I'd get a paintbrush out and paint it a nice blue or something if I were you. Don't tell my wife that. Oh dear, she'll yeah. she'll probably slap me if I ever meet her. Yeah, you're you're in the dugout oh, no. house big time, David. Yeah, yeah. All right. right. Anyway, so yes, guys, it's been great fun. You've been uh, a laugh. So that's that's interesting. Uh, it's nice to have a laugh occasionally, isn't it? No, it's when we're good. all locked down. Yeah. It's Head been up, it's uh, been
1: great to meet you, David. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure, and uh, just stay on the line for us while we play ourselves out. And um, sure, we'll put the links in the description if uh, you know for some of your books, people want to follow your work. And, uh, right. and you look got forward some of that, to that. Have you? I'll find it. Don't worry about that. All right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, right. we'll look forward to the new book coming out soon as well.
2: Yeah, and best, best in, of all, a with few that. months. All right, there's plenty of second-hand books on Amazon. Don't okay. worry. Once people have read it, they don't want to read them again. Okay. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll be back Take in a care. flash. Don't
0: touch all that right. dial.
2: Bye. Take care. Time.
3: Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the
2: cripple, and the mother of madness.
1: That's our chat with David Roll rewriting oh. history.
4: Again, on the podcast, it's I mean, good. not David.
2: It's
1: good. I love that stuff. It's what makes things interesting.
4: Yeah, I yeah. mean, I just hope that you know we don't have to die before it's kind of accepted <laughs> in
0: academia.
4: <laughs> I suppose it's a very strange thing that we, we 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 come across that quite often, don't we? And I think the, um, the cosmic dust is the one that springs to mind that it's kind of changing but has taken 20 years to change. Is that what he,
1: George was saying? Yeah, well George Howard brought up, reference the um, the meteor impacts at the Yucatan that killed the dinosaurs. You know, it mm-hmm. took like decades for mm-hmm. it to finally be accepted. And I guess that's the scientific method working <laughs> but yeah. you have vested interests and people who are you know, have invested a lifetime of work in research into a particular point of view, and they don't want to see it destroyed. Yeah, you know, they've written books, they've sold books, and written papers all about this thing, and and when someone else comes along and says, uh, "This is all wrong." Yeah, <laughs> if you just do this, then mm. you know, the Trojan War made sense. The Greek. The ancient Greece Greece makes sense. The founding of Rome makes sense. The Old Testament makes sense. You know, it's a huge sea change, and that's why people who are entrenched in the scholastic Mm. world uh, are going to push back with everything they have, aren't they? Mm. As long as it's fair, then I'm all right with that. But Mm. like, from what Dave was saying, a lot of them, they don't even bother to read his stuff. They just, you know. That's the thing, isn't it? I suppose that's where I have a problem with it. Yeah, mm.
5: blinkered, closed mindset. It's probably part of the human condition to yeah, it's, kind it's, of protect you.
4: Yeah, confirmation bias. You always, you always seek out information that uh, suits your theory on life generally,
1: yeah,
4: and ignore the rest. Touch of dogmatism, yeah, it kind of links to schema theory as well. You know, if your schema is built around, um a certain way of thinking, then your attention is biased towards that thought or way of thinking, I suppose. It's a wonder we
5: ever make any progression, isn't it really? With the, with all the yeah. human frailty about.
4: Yeah. Two so you st- can change, you can change your schema because that's the whole point of therapy.
1: There we go. Two steps forward, one <laughs> step back. Yeah. yeah. There was another famous scientist. Brother called Abdul. <laughs> <laughs> Opposites attract. <of> <laughs>
4: Is that the one with the cat?
1: Yeah. Opposite Opposites <laughs> a track, yeah. thought so she was hot back in the day. Pull her up, Yeah. Anyway.
3: Housekeeping. Housekeeping!
5: Housekeeping. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay!
1: This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please return some value. What does value for value means mean? It means no adverts, no mm. corporate sponsorships, no putting stuff behind paywalls. Yeah. It's all out there. It's all free. Yeah, yeah we've you know we've turned
4: down um, double-digit figures of sponsorship to keep this uh, podcast advert-free.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: Tough
5: to do when you're scraping pennies together to make the mic stands.
1: In my case. So, if you find this podcast valuable, please consider consider returning some value and become a producer and help us produce the show. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. You can um, leave us a five star review on iTunes. You can sign up to the subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Odyssey channel. If you if you subscribe to Odyssey, Mm -hmm. we get a little crypto boost kickback
4: yeah right um
1: on. buy some merch buy some sweet merch yeah if you go to the uh show notes scroll down to the show notes you'll find a link to the armish loot chest where you can get your you know literally a communist hoodie or current grape t-shirt uh reviews have you said reviews we need reviews don't we itunes reviews would be useful mm. uh word of mouth you know, yeah. if you if you enjoy this, and you know someone else who might may, may also enjoy this, tell them about it. Yeah, Recommend it. Don't be it. embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. It's the best form of advertising. Yeah, tell you, from from experience. What else? Jingle requests. Yeah. If you if you spot a mash up jingle that's dying to be made, It's mash up. Let me know. Minimum five pound fee for that service <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think that's fair, I think so, you yeah, know. unless I'm feeling particularly charitable well, send us articles uh media clips if you find something on social media, some wacky news article or or clip memes memes send us memes that we can use on instagram Memees. yeah, um, um are you
4: a scholar? Oh yeah, are you a scholar? Super do you want to peer review? Yeah, do you want to appear on the podcast?
1: <laughs> or you may know someone who's,
5: yeah. you Insane.
1: know, I mean, it's like, you know, coherent. Look, I, I just ran into if you Ian yourself,
5: If you yourself are furious about what you've heard <laughs> on one of our episodes and want to want <laughs> to uh, come aboard and, and uh,
1: present a rebuttal.
5: We'd welcome
1: you. Absolutely. We'd open up. Um, Ian Lyons, that was just a chance meeting. It was, not it? And, you know, it turns out the guy was a parachute trainer, trainer, had a near-death experience, and has a really interesting story to tell.
5: marathon guy. Yeah.
1: yeah. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, we, we accept guest guest recommendations.
4: Of course mm-hmm. we do. Uh,
1: if you want to get in contact, you can email us at thearmishinquisition at com. Or via social media, follow us on social media and contact us there. We're very friendly. Um, what's the best way to become a producer?
5: Chuck us some currency.
1: Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty. Great, that's not
3: because I'm literally a, a communist. Witcher, oh I plenty, think you're hitting hitting the point, shell. That uh, cut and... Uh, uh, and it really bothers
0: me. Yeah,
1: if you go to thearmistinquisition.com, you'll find the PayPal button there, and you can sign up for a monthly donation or give us a one-off. Um, it all helps with the running of the show and paying the overheads and uh, mm-hmm. keeping this show value for value so you don't have to, you know, subscribe to Patreon to get the extra, the last hour or whatever. There's all sorts of schemes that different podcasts use only to monetize.
4: You have to, some some podcasts yeah. make you you have to for the la- second half you have yep. to subscribe. Well,
1: yeah, I think Greg
5: content they call it.
1: Greg uh, Colwood, mm-hmm. I think, does that for the higher side chats. I think you get the first hour free, and then you subscribe for the second half. They tease you, and then they cut you off. <laughs> Look, there's different ways, different uh, you know thoughts of how best it is the best way of actually making this sustainable. Mm. And, you know, I think that the no agenda guys have got it right. Value for value. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Because yeah. when, you know, when the apocalypse comes,
1: it's not going to be fiat currency, is it? Well, funny you mentioned that. We had, uh, I'll tell you what I done. We haven't done any communiques for a while. And I got a couple this week that I thought, bear repeating. Go on then. Um, I've got a message this week from a certain Mark Humphrey. Oh, Oh,
5: I remember Mark
1: Humphrey. Oh, he started
4: at episode one, didn't he? Oh, the poor guy.
1: Yes, we remember Mark. Mark remembers us, and he sent us a message today, uh, this week. Just got to episode 24, (laughs) which was (laughs) flotation tanks, cataclysms, and gun control. Just got to episode 24 and got my first mention, talking about the old college bands, Smiley Face. Oh,
5: oh.
1: And, um, you know, it got me curious. I had some sort of morbid curiosity. I thought I'd go back and listen to that one while I was out walking the dog. <laughs> oh. And uh, I've got a little is clip. G- is it good? You just uh, since you just mentioned the apocalypse, Matt. Check, the, okay. check out this Pro- propheticizing, if that's even a word yeah I think that's why I think the most likely killer will be a some sort of biological weapon gone wrong some of that is completely un biased completely
5: yeah, so something that just d- destroys DNA yeah something No resistance. It just unravels DNA
1: and there's no way to to stop it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably further ahead in the future. I think it could happen a lot sooner with something even as simple as a fucking um, plague. What about something that just caused infertility? Well, yeah, that would do it. It's going to run out of frozen sperm sooner or later. Infertility. There we are. Three years later. Um, yeah, we've got,
4: think... we've got a disease that wipes out 83-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's how it
0: starts. Oh,
1: yeah. What if the... Uh, <laughs> toe in the water. What if the cure is worse than the disease, though? That's the thing. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I've got another communique. This one's from uh, Dean McCoy, 73, over on Instagram. <laughs> I tape drywall. <laughs> he tapes drywall. <laughs> Do you know what that means? I tape drywall, plasterboard in 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 real speak. So in in the masking tape. In the UK, we call it plasterboard, and then when they board a freshly freshly boarded ceiling, where the seams in the boards are, Mm. they tape tape it. That shit. You gotta tape it with two inch tape, and then they (laughs) they fill it with smeg, (laughs) and then uh, sand it down and paint it. Nope. If it's a new build, they don't even bother skimming them anymore. They don't skim it? No, it's pay it on a what Get out of it. Not my house, is it? <laughs> someone, else, someone else is buying it. Yeah, that's how they do it. New build. And I never knew that. Okay.
4: How yeah. did he... Right, I've got too many. I'm going too deep into... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've
1: only got one sentence into the communique.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> McCoy 73 I tape drywall. Not long ago, not long ago, I did a house for an Amish community in Bowling Green, Missouri. The community house burned to the ground, and two weeks later, I was taping the drywall. It was a 5,000 square foot house. Oh, they did a barn raising. Yeah. Okay. In two weeks, two weeks, it was boarded out.
4: Well, that's what you can do when you don't watch telly for five hours a day.
1: Of course, there was no plumbing or electric, <laughs> which made it easier. No plumbing. I thought they had plumbing. I imagine they might have a latrine, maybe. They didn't have, They must have running water, surely, or a God pump. Said. Guess not. Anyway, uh, well of course, there was no plumbing or electric, which made it easier. There were 50 men working on the house, so you can see how fast it was done. Anyway, I took pictures of some of the gas-generated tools that they had. And thought you'd get a get a kick out of one in particular. Gas what? Gas generated yeah, tool. It's a gas powered screw gun. The little Amish boys were screwing the house off with it. It's yours. Enjoy. And he attached a photo, and it's like a Dewalt screw gun, and it's got like an inch pipe coming out of the back of it that goes to some sort of gas uh, compressor. How are you allowed to use that? Because it runs off. It probably runs off diesel. But why are they allowed to use diesel? Uh, because it's not electric. So it's just electricity they're not allowed to use. Yeah. They can, can use they gas. Use, right? I think they can why? use gas.
4: Why are they allowed to that? That's Oil. gene. Why? <laughs> it's their religion, it should be. It should be like whale blubber or something. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe it like was. Like a super
5: soaker. You can charge the barrel of a super soaker. Have you got uh, the photo to show? It's a Sorry, pressure.
1: I've not. Got, I'll, I'll post it to Instagram. Okay. Yeah.
4: Um I thought sorry that it was um I I don't really know anything about the Amish sorry. particularly other than you know the stereotypes. Um and uh, Kingpin. So um I just thought that these these stopped using technology like after the mid 19th century or something. Is it is it a bit more complicated than that? you're asking me like a fucking like I fucking no <laughs> all right you're kind of uh, i kind of got the vibe that you did no i've no idea
1: right okay i bet dave that's matheson it's... would know
4: yeah so you know again
1: want to be a producer write in and tell us yeah corrections addendums corrigendums exactly, comments yeah. yeah yeah why not hmm. yeah the all po- the point is is that you're providing content that's why you're a producer Exactly. You know, just like Dean McCoy 73 has. Exactly. Got at least two minutes, three minutes out of that of content. Yeah. This is a community. That's the idea. An Amish community. Yeah. (laughs) But with electricity. Shall I uh, thank the producers for episode 178? Please. Please do. Okay. We have Sir Dodger of Panhandle, The 100th Monkey, Nomi Nosnodge, Gav Scott, online chemistry teacher Mark Humphrey Dean McCoy 73 and Anonymous Anonymous? Anonymous <laughs> you're so amazing in your love
4: they are yeah
0: so amazing in their love literally the best mate
4: I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am fucking
3: vegan. it really bothers me you, uh, you girl.
4: will you stop talking
3: The dwarfs, the carrots,
6: the grape, the Uh. chili. The homophobe.
3: The wind. The, the misogynist. The, uh, the, the fucking vegan. The route to liberty. King. The blind dog faced pony soldier. The, the asla. The corpop. The devil in a rock and a half place.
6: The number 11. The sexy deposit. The big
3: stud.
2: The
6: blind man. The chest feeding. communist. On the horizon.
2: The cripple. And the mother of.
6: Money from. from like a judgment day and terminating mode like. <laughs> Yes!
1: Yes! I don't get it, I never will. Yep, thanks for your support for another week. Another good episode with David Rowell. Yeah. I've uh, got a lot to get through, man. <laughs> it's been a good big week. Holiday. It's a good job it's bank holiday. It is, and we're an hour early. Mm. So, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, roll back. After this week, it's been too much. There's just been so much to go through.
4: COVID nineteen news. If you let it rip, they would get infected very rapidly and soon be filling up your hospitals and, unfortunately,
1: your morgues. Vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. I wish we could vaccinate against stupidity. Uh, Tos, mob.
4: In the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. From hell,
3: earth. the magic
5: vaccine. It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal.
3: Because we're getting bored and we want to have fun. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them!
1: I wanted to start with vaccine hesitancy in France. It seems to be a uniquely there's a unique problem. It seems with vaccine hesitancy with the French. Are, are we yeah. aware of this in the consciousness? Um, I think I, so. vaguely, yes. I vaguely read some stuff. Maybe. Well, I'm sure
4: there's are stu-
5: around flu vaccines as well. Like on an annual basis, I think they've had a, a few um, medical mishaps in the past um, generally in France but
0: yeah
1: this story this week from France 24 might not help
6: a guilty verdict and a 2.7 million euro fine for French drug makers Servier after some 7,000 civil plaintiffs accused the company of marketing the weight loss pill Mediator despite being aware of the dangerous link to it France's health ministry says at least 500 people died of heart valve problems in the country because of exposure to the drug. Irène Frachon, a respirologist at a hospital in Brest, led research into Mediator in 2007, alerting authorities to the risks. So that was
1: 2007 that it broke, that this drug was a problem. And uh, it was sort of patched over, covered up, and... uh, it said 500 deaths. Uh, some estimates put it at 2,000 deaths that this uh, this drug caused. Um, what's the fallout? Do you think?
5: Well, people are going to have less. People are going to be wanting to go for the vaccine, the jab. Um, uh, they sorry. won't have a, a bigger. Sorry,
1: I meant in this case.
5: All from the from the drugs. Mm, do Maybe a fine.
1: Let's see.
6: The drug was finally pulled from shelves in 2009, more than a decade after concerns were first raised. Servier's former deputy boss, Jean-Philippe Seta, was handed a suspended jail sentence of four years this Monday, while France's medicines agency was fined around €300,000 for its role in the scandal.
1: So the French medicine agency got a €300,000 fine. Who's picking that up? The people who brought the case... No, I mean, who's paying for it?
4: Well, yeah, the people who brought it. the, the public, weren't they? I yeah. guess. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, the people who brought the case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. It's um, not good. No. I anyway. suppose they would. The company would have had to argue that they they didn't know that it was a problem, but that I mean, if it was brought up in two thousand and seven, that's a fairly weak argument.
1: No, it was it was criminal negligence, corporate negligence. They actively tried to cover it up. Because so they, that's
5: been that's that's the result of the trial, is
1: it? Yeah. I mean, just go um, like I've said before, don't Google Pfizer court case because I mean uh, there's just a long laundry list of fines. I mean it's mainly fines. This guy got a four year suspended sentence. He's already made his money, he looks about a hundred years old. I don't think he gives a shit. 2,000 people are dead. They don't really care. Anyway, sticking with the... um, Sorry, I was going to say in the 80s, they had quite
5: a scandal in France where there was um, contaminated blood knowingly given to uh, recipients. Really? Um, Like AIDS contaminated blood in in the 80s. I thought
4: that was um, worldwide.
5: I'm not sure there was there was definitely cases brought in France. I only know because it's it's probably been brought up as as um, part of this vaccine hesitancy news mm-hmm. um, this week.
4: Right. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Do. I'm pretty sure that I've heard of cases here as well with, with that kind of thing in you know, contaminated blood and HIV and whatnot
1: and hepatitis A, B, and C or whatever. I mean, uh, yeah,
4: I've
0: yeah,
1: HIV. I've never given blood. Did they? you have to go for a blood test first to make sure you haven't got hepatitis or something? Well, that's yeah now, yeah. Um, but then <clears throat> I
4: assume not. Um, uh, but then I think that basically, as it over the years, it's come out that actually it was known that there was something in the blood that was potentially being tran- transfused to people. So you know, there was like people. Yeah, I, I, I assume. Well, I've heard you know stories of people sort of saying you know. They were accused um, of being promiscuous and, you know, well, no, you you must be, you know, because it was kind of seen as a, 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 like a gay culture thing, HIV and AIDS, and that you must be homosexual, you must be hiding it and all this carry on. Um, but, you know, it, it turns out that they had a blood transfusion in like the early 80s or whatever, or mid 80s.
1: And that's where they got the virus from or hepatitis or whatever dentist i seem to remember people getting hiv from the dentist oh i don't know that's a new one for me
5: that might be poor sterilization of instrumentation
1: maybe possibly
4: ah fuck it i don't need to change this mm-hmm. so
1: sticking it uh,
4: under the tap
1: uh, sticking with vaccine hesitancy i've got a story from our, our buddies at <laughs> hey. DW
0: yeah. dw
1: did a piece on vax hesitancy and they did a piece on the the uk in particular Regarding vaccine vaccine hesitancy, hesitancy, can we guess which direction this one goes, Matt? I think your mum would really like this. Uh, which way? What? Sorry, vaccine
4: hesitancy in the UK. All oh, right, I is it about immigrants? Oh, it's
1: them BAME fellows, isn't it? <laughs> okay, yeah. Does your mum not watch
4: DW? Uh, no. No, and she just, she just reads the daily mail
1: oh. and <laughs> she'd love it. You want to get her a fire stick? <laughs> it's on all day <laughs> on YouTube. Is it? On YouTube. Yeah. It's live um, all day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it is the start.
6: In the UK, more than 30 million people have received their first COVID-19 vaccine, but there is not everyone is too eager to roll up their sleeves. Skepticism is especially widespread among minorities, even though they've been harder hit by the virus. Racial inequalities have led to deep mistrust between those minority groups and institutions. DW's Birgit Maas reports now from a district in North London, where she met one man who was part of the campaign to fight vaccine skepticism.
4: Can you just pause it? Yeah. Oh, have you done it? Is that it? I was just going to say, do you think that they they were aware of the double um, sort of meaning in rolling up your sleeves and then talking about immigrants being afraid to roll up their sleeves? Ooh.
0: No. No, that
1: didn't occur to me when I listened to it, no. You see, there you go, unconscious bias. They, uh, they go on to follow around one of these. They're called a community champion. Right. Who's, who's going to be a member of the community. Who's going to be... It's like an outreach thing where he goes around doorstepping people, handing people leaflets, going mm-hmm. to communities that are majority BAME fellows, mm-hmm. you know, to try and convince them to get the, the vaccine. Uh, and they, they did a few Vox Pops, which were quite good. I enjoyed these. <laughs>
6: British health authorities have launched social media campaigns to combat conspiracy theories and vaccination myths. The language we use, the messenger we use, and conversations with locals reveal their suspicion.
3: I do not want it. It's not gonna do me no good. Rather to kill me off. I'm high
6: risk, and I'm not having it. I don't want it.
4: they are
1: testing it on human beings and that's not right that's why i'm not taking it amen that guy testing it on human beings Mm. have you lost ben
4: no, he's just no, no. I was just dead still. he just shocked. <laughs> she, she he's shocked. Ahead. He's shocked into silence by Dr. Welle once again. Uh,
1: well, it, get, it <laughs> gets hitting reporting. It gets kind of creepier because um, they bring in the talking head expert now, Dr. Samia Latif. Okay, and she's going to explain, you know, what we need to do for the BAME people to convince them to get the vaccine.
6: BRITISH HEALTH AUTHORITIES HAVE LAUNCHED SOCIAL MEDIA CAMPAIGNS TO COMBAT CONSPIRACY THEORIES AND VACCINATION MYTHS. THE LANGUAGE WE USE, THE MESSENGER WE USE AND and THE MESSAGE. AND I THINK OUT OF ALL OF THOSE, PROBABLY THE MESSENGER MAY BE ONE OF THE MOST IMPORTANT ONES. So IF IT'S A TRUSTED COMMUNITY MEMBER, SOMEONE THEY KNOW, SOMEONE THEY CAN RELATE TO, SOMEONE WHO LOOKS LIKE THEM, SOMEONE WHO SPEAKS, speaks THE SAME LANGUAGE AS THEM. Um, it's more easy to build a rapport and to understand what they're saying.
1: It sounds like treating people like fucking children, this. We need to get someone who looks like them. <laughs> really? Is this where we're at? Can we not just accept that some people don't want to take it?
4: Yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. It's a difficult one, I'll too. Oh, it's sales, though. Well, no, yeah, we have to hit sales, but it's like I don't know, I'm not buying this that it's a it's a thing it's a particularly a problem in ethnic minority communities. I'm not buying that as a premise for a start
5: mm, Are they measuring the data
0: um.
1: yeah, there was something in the report that eighty five percent of white people had accepted the thing and forty nine percent of black people had had accepted the vaccine i'm sick of I'm sick of them talking about white and black and dividing people along these lines. you you not know, just accept that some people don't want it and some do and we need this outreach problem we need to find people who look like them to convince them to take it. I just don't like yeah, it at all should
5: be, it should be seventy odd percent of people of people are, are, you know, accepting of the vaccine.
1: Why are they measuring it in the first There's place? statistic. Why are they measuring it? Statisticians
5: need to feed their families too.
1: What if it all goes tits up with the vaccine and it doesn't work? Might some people be blamed for rejecting the vaccine? Could no. we think forward and see where this might lead up in a particular circumstance? Do we really want to go there? No, I don't Jeez, think so. Man. I don't think so. Anyway, fortunately, things get lighter as we go along. Good this week because it's—I just don't like this shit. But anyway, uh, Doctor Liana Wen was on CNN this week with Chris Cuomo you know who Andrew Cuomo is yeah uh, we've we got to get out. the ventilators we've got to get the ventilators the ventilators and fill people up at the same time is he there's, another one he's a bit handsy I think there's uh, uh, <laughs> 10 10 women now have come out accusing him yeah. <laughs> and he refuses to acknowledge any of it no not me not me <laughs> that weren't me I'm too busy looking for the ventilators Anyway, his brother, Chris Cuomo. Do you not remember the clip? We yes. played the clip of them having an argument about the, who, the, which one the mother loved the most. Yeah. On CNN. Yeah. So anyway, Do- Dr. Leanna Wen was on CNN with Chris Cuomo, Andrew's little brother. And uh, this is just astounding, this clip. Uh, I don't think she was supposed to say this in public, but anyway
6: Vaccinated, you can do all these things, hear all these freedoms that you have, because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway.
4: It's becoming Ooh. so politicized, isn't it, to have the vaccine and uh, from especially with it being CNN, then I imagine it's the trope in America is you're a Trump supporter. You're an alt-right person if you don't want the vaccine. And you're uh, a Democrat and a, a left-wing liberal. If you
1: do, I don't think that's particularly healthy, is it? No. Now we can't have people enjoying the freedoms before they've had the vaccine. <laughs> no. They need to. We need to tie these two things together. Yeah. This is the carrot. We we need to speed things up. These other states like Florida, they're opening up now. Without forcing people to get the vaccine. We need to tie well, these I, things together. Vaccine is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty, as Mr Blair I, said.
4: Yeah, I thought Florida <laughs> opened up, like, last year sometime. Has, it,
1: has certain things been closed <coughs> in Florida, even? The best one is North and South Dakota. Have you seen North and South Dakota? No. So you've got... I forget which way around it is. I think North Dakota, no masks, no lockdowns, no nothing. South Dakota right. mandatory masks, lockdowns, whatever, and you look at the two graphs. They're in lockstep. Exactly. They don't move. They don't change. It's irrelevant. None of it works. The masks are bullshit. <laughs> but you there need
5: are it. about five people living in North Dakota. <laughs> so I think they're quite sparse.
3: But
1: they're both the same. You've got a, c- a control and an experiment next to each other.
5: Mm. Yeah, the track insane.
1: Yeah, does not make any difference. Anyway,
5: gotta sell masks.
1: Yeah, that uh, Lena Wen, Liana Wen. She's an op-ed columnist with the Wapo, the Washington Post, and a CNN medical analyst. Um, she's a practicing physician, former health commissioner for the city of Baltimore. And I found this amusing. (laughs) Author of the book, When Doctors Don't Listen, How to Avoid Misdiagnoses (laughs) and Unnecessary Tests. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah, strange one. Health officials in Australia let the mass slip this week at a press conference
6: for whatever reason, they were away or unwell or or whatever. But we're almost through all of 1A. It's now 1B. 1B are our most critical people. So they are our older people, 70 years of age and older. We know they are just so vulnerable to getting ill and dying from this vaccine.
1: Oops. (laughs) There's so um, much of this. I've, I have c- catch myself doing it, mixing up virus and vaccine. The words. Do you? Yeah, I do it all the time. Uh-huh. But it's even great. It's even better when someone, at, you know, a public health body at a press conference does it. And says, oh, these people are just so vulnerable from this vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it funny.
4: Yeah, it's good.
0: good.
1: <coughs> Ranvier Singh. Right, what she had to say. Ranvya Singh is a presenter on Good Morning Britain on ITV, and yes. um, she didn't just go off script this week, she went off the fucking reservation, <gasps> talking to Doctor Doom, Doctor Hillary.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, I don't think she meant to say this. Mm. And
4: many vaccine producers are actually trialling uh, different vaccines it on children and babies. not that anybody
6: would put their child eventually. forward for a trial? You know, because they have to actually test it on children, don't they? Uh, of course they do. I, mean, yes. I just find just that extraordinary, that really. I mean, they must well, all be scientists who just believe in it. You know, well, I wouldn't, if somebody, if a letter came through the post, would you mind putting your eight-year-old up for a test I guess they when you see that it's... how it's would, would out it? out. It's fascinating. What, what, what tends to I mean, we thank them for doing well,
2: it. When we use medicines, we have a sort of rough rule of thumb is that medicines for children... We, yeah. Like he's a fucking
1: scientist.
4: Was it like a GP in 1979? For two
2: years over 12, it's the same dose as an adult, right. but based on you know, so I see what
0: weight you mean. And so size, can, yeah.
6: Uh,
2: so then you start to trial on, on younger age groups, and if you look at the
4: vaccination program for, for, for babies, you know we vaccinate children.
6: They must all well, be scientists who just believe in it, you know. Well,
4: yeah, go get around the podcast.
1: Yeah, I think she became. Yeah.
4: Is she not like from somewhere around here? Around V, am sure she is. Yeah, she's from Preston, I think.
1: I think she started on uh, Granada Mm-hmm. in the yeah. northwest. Uh, in northwest tonight, I think. BBC. Right. Yeah. Um, this AstraZeneca blood clot blood clot thing's not going away, is it? No, I said something about read no. something about thirty. No, three thousand.
4: No, how many?
5: No, thirty. Thirty.
4: 30. thirty in the UK now. Thirty in the UK. Thirty in
5: the, 30 in the UK. <laughs> yeah, they had another twenty-five, I think, cases recently, yeah. this
1: week. Thirty in Germany. Um, and when you work out the sort of the risk, so if you think Germany have had two point seven million doses and thirty cases, that's about one in ninety thousand. Um one of the Nordics, I think it's Norway, if you break down their cases and divide it by these thrombocytopenias, it works out one in twenty five thousand. And the UK have come and said, Well, we've given fifteen million doses and we've only had thirty. But there's a problem. The European countries didn't give AstraZeneca to over fifty fives. And we did our vaccine rollout starting at 90-year-olds working down. Mm. So although we've given 15 million doses, the vast, vast majority of those are to over 55s. And it seems that we have an issue with under 55-year-old people and this blood clot thing, and it's refusing to go away. Mm. Canada have postponed now. Like, Germany, they, they halted, and then the EMA came out a week later and said... The benefits outweigh the risks we'll put a note, we'll put something in the um instruction leaflet to say there's a risk of this, and so they re the started again and then a week later they've stopped again but yeah it's funny it's uh, it's just refusing to go away. It's weird mm. uh, time will tell i
0: guess
1: yeah yep exactly um. What do we need to stay safe? Masks, what? face, space, face. Fresh air. <laughs> the, the, the three pillars, isn't it? There's the three pillars of this lunacy that we need to continue to stay healthy. <laughs> face masks. What else? Uh, hand washing.
5: Wash your hands. Militant yeah.
1: hand washing. <laughs> and... Tosilizumab. Tosilizumab. map. <laughs> S- and uh anti-social distancing Mm. yeah so uh religiously using hand sanitizer might not be a great idea
3: health watch hand sanitizers have been critical to keeping us safe during the pandemic but researchers say they've recently detected elevated levels of benzene in a number of sanitizing products on the market benzene is a carcinogen known to cause blood disorders including leukemia the leading brand purell
6: and many others had no detectable levels of benzene cbs news chief medical correspondent dr john Lapook reports
1: yeah, so benzene is known as like one of the number one toxic substances that you don't want anywhere near, you, isn't it?
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, yeah, yeah
4: the,
5: does it cause blood disorders like thrombocytopenia. <laughs> yeah,
4: it's it just, might but they just said leukemia then, so it might do yeah,
5: all kinds of mad, mad shit. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's a carcinogen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's uh,
5: nasty, nasty business. Benzene.
1: You don't want to be putting it on you five, six times a day in hand sanitizer. No. How did this happen? I hear you cry.
4: How did this happen?
5: In the early oh. days of the pandemic, the FDA relaxed standards on benzene levels in liquid hand sanitizers, according to Dr. Leonardo Trasande.
3: There was uh, an effort to really increase hand sanitizers and the availability.
0: The FDA allowed liquid hand sanitizers to
5: contain benzene in a concentration of up to two parts per million, Valasher tested hundreds of products for benzene. Valasher says of 260 products, 21 from 15 brands tested above the FDA interim limit. The top three tested between six to eight times higher than allowed. Batches of this sanitizer with a baby Yoda on the front contain nearly double the allowable amount.
0: Att-
1: <laughs> they put Groku on it, <laughs> and some benzene.
0: <laughs> probably created a
1: completely unregulated
5: industry in, in hand sanitizers yeah, yeah. <laughs> people who were manufacturing all kinds of other shit mm. converting to man, manufacture a hand sanitizer, a sanitizer mm. in great quantity with no regulation whatsoever and then this relaxation of it won't just be benzene, there'll be other uh, things that have been relaxed to allow these these guys who are making I don't know, beer or whatever to to make hand sanitizer no, they're not experts in creating hand sanitizer. How does it, it should be what, a regulated product.
4: Where does benzene come from? Why is it in hand sanitizer to begin with? Just a bul- like a, a, a ring of carbons.
1: A, a bulking agent. <laughs> <laughs> really? Anti-caking agent. It's cheap. Just top it up with benzene. A little bit cheap.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's only four good. parts per million. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that that um like zero points for a million is what you want. <laughs> it's one of the most toxic substances known to man, I think. Anyway, another <laughs> another pillar of the lunacy, face masks. Mm-hmm.
6: It appears there was another group of workers in Montreal who were wearing the potentially toxic face masks. CTV News has learned that STM employees were given the masks as well. Health Canada had issued a warning about them late last week. Gabrielle Famy reports. The STM says thousands of employees have been wearing the blue and grey masks. That doesn't include bus drivers and those working in the ticket booths. They don't have to wear masks because they're behind a plexiglass. Still, these masks were handed out to STM inspectors, maintenance workers and cleaners. The blue-grey masks, coated with nanoform graphene, are now being called potentially toxic to the lungs by Health Canada. The coating claims to be antiviral, but there's concern the particles of graphene are so small they can be inhaled. The STM says since September, hundreds of thousands of these masks were used by its employees. But when it learned of the potential danger, it pulled them in a matter of hours.
1: So, this is some uh, graphene nanoparticle put on the masks as an antimicrobial substance. And it turns out that graphene is something you don't want in your lungs, it's going to fuck you up. And they'd given it to it's a
5: virus anyway. What, why? Why pe- people from the start have been confusing, you know, antibiotic and antimicrobe with with antiviral from the start. You know, your, your Dove antibacterial soap isn't going to help you in that situation. That was from the very earliest days. So uh, there, there's putting a... all this shit extra on your um on your PPE, is, there's no point
1: no there is There's a there no is a point, point it's looking like it's dangerous there is a point because more masks. if no if you wear dirty masks with microbes on them that's how you get bacterial pneumonia
5: right okay yeah yeah
1: all right yes wearing a dirty mask is really dangerous and don't there,
5: wear a dirty mask
1: there are some or people
5: you more likely to wear a dirty mask if you if your mask was so expensive because of its antibacterial properties that you can't afford to throw it away each time you, you go in the shop and out, outside the shop.
1: There are some people who think that the bacterial pneumonia epidemic, which was caused more deaths than the Spanish flu in 1819, was people wearing masks yeah, and not yeah. having them cleaned properly and breathing in shit air. There's a reason we're we're not born with masks on. It's an evolutionary thing, isn't it? We're designed... To just breathe in the air normally. Once you start interfering with this that, you're going to have filter. You're going to have unintended consequences. And a lot of people think that the bacterial pneumonia that killed 25 million people 100 years ago was partly because of people wearing masks. But you know, we threw all that out. We threw all that science out last year for for this. So yeah, this graphene stuff—it's not. It doesn't seem to be. It's good for you. Uh, at the beginning of the story, it said that. He said the other people who've been getting it, these people who were like municipal workers, cleaners, people working on the bus drivers, before that they were talking about the nurseries and daycares, the children who'd been making to wear these masks. They've been giving it to thousands of kids. Really? Yeah. 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 It's lunacy. Anyway, not to be outdone by the Canadians, I've got a story from the Daily Mail. This was here in the UK this week. What we are breathing through our mouth and nose is actually hazardous waste. Scientists find evidence of toxic chemicals in some face masks. Preliminary preliminary analysis found toxic chemicals in some face masks. These include known allergens and carcinogens, as well as controlled substances. Masks for, intended for use by the general public are not deemed to be PPE. Therefore, they don't, do not meet the same standards as masks worn by doctors. 85% of all masks made worldwide come from China and concerns have been raised over substandard manufacturing and opaque supply change, uh, supply chains. So from, formaldehyde was one of the things we were finding in our masks. Nice. Yeah. Not going to do you much good, that. No. You know, it's like an act of defiance to refuse to wear one. It's against the law in certain circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Again, <laughs> unregulated as well.
1: Yep. Anyway, should we move to post-COVID life? <laughs> Please. Um, yeah. Has anyone heard of the International Wellbeing Institute? No. Well-building. The IWBA. Hi. The International Well Building Well Building Institute.
5: Did they build wells?
1: You would think so with that name, <laughs> but no. Uh, they've started a certification program to grant COVID secure status to businesses, workplaces, licensed premises. Um, let's hear about the, about it all from J Lo, Lady Gaga, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, Robert De Niro et al
3: If you want to get back to your favorite places And feel confident they have put your health That's
1: J-Lo by the way
3: Safety first (laughs) Look for the Well Health Safety Seal Look for the Well Health Safety Seal Look for the Well Health Safety Seal I'm Dr. Richard Carmona the 17th Surgeon General of the United States of America. This is the Well Health Safety Seal from the International Well Building Institute, the global authority on healthy buildings. The
6: Well Health Safety Rating was informed by years of research and input from hundreds of leading virologists, public health experts, epidemiologists, and building professionals around the world. You'll see it at schools, offices, banks, childcare centers, all the places we go.
3: The Well Health Safety Seal means that we'll feel better going into restaurants, theaters, stores, hotels, stadiums, and all the places that we love. Everything may look the same, but the Well Health Safety Seal means that your health and safety are top of mind when it comes to cleaning and are you looking at me? Sanitizing procedures. Air and water quality management. Emergency preparedness programs. And health services. So look for the Well Health Safety Seal outside and feel more confident going inside. Learn more about the Well Health Safety Rating at
6: wellhealthsafety.com.
1: Don't mind if I do, because I love creepy New World Order shit like this. It's like a kite mark. Mm -hmm. And every and and it's just like a symbol that these buildings will have on the window by the entrance like uh, what was the thing you used to have at, at school like investors in futures people investors people? in people yeah. Uh, yeah and this is you know they've got some big names they've obviously got money behind them mm. got Gargar no no I'll let Bobby take that and uh, anyway, I went to the website, and you've got to do a bit of digging, but I found the I found the pricing structure. Well, certification for projects looking to address the full scope of project design, construction, and operations. Enrollment fee: two and a half thousand dollars. Program fee: sixteen cents per square foot, starting at six and a half thousand dollars. On-site performance testing: annual starting at six and a half thousand dollars and on the website the saying uh, tag your favorite bin- businesses on social media tell them that you want their business to be well certified before you'll feel safe returning and being a patron of their business it's a fucking scam
4: it sounds like it doesn't it what are, they, what are they certifying that it's COVID secure, or yeah, that what be, it means.
1: Got to be COVID secure. Have you got emergency procedures? Are you following a, a cleanliness regime? How's your air circulation? Yeah, I was going to say like, you know,
4: are they going to like insist you know you have uh, extractor fans with like those filters on the?
1: That... Well, they're just making it up as they go, f- fucking go along, aren't they? That's what. I mean. As long as they get paid, I don't think they give a shit. Yeah, who's coming to inspect it? Dr. Hillary? Bobby D. (laughs) J-Lo. I don't know. It's just... um, Wow. It's like the Green Pass. It's like the Common Pass, the vaccine certificate. It's an industry now. All these companies are vying Mm. to be the gold standard. It's Mm. money. It's all about money. It's a fucking scam. It's not about your health anyone else's health.
5: It's a new economy.
1: Yeah. It's the fourth industrial revolution.
5: <laughs> as Clash would get on say. Board. When are you going to get a studio certified?
1: So we can come back? I'll certify it. I'll print one off and stick it on the door.
5: Get I'll Lady do Gaga one. around to give it the once over.
1: Yeah. COVID secure. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about the uh, the woman from Daventry that had an inspirational tattoo on her back? No. A woman has revealed how she got an inspirational quote in tribute to her dad on her back and was mortified when she twigged the very sexual meaning. Rihanna Cooper from Daventry, Nottinghamshire, got a sentimental inking when she was 18 and says she regrets... Going under the needle before thinking it through. Now 22, the business analyst got the make it count tat on her upper back and only realised the innuendo a year later during a chat with her boyfriend. Speaking to Fabulous, she explains If I'm having sex with my boyfriend and my boyfriend is behind me, the words make it count are the first thing he sees." <laughs> I only realised about a year later, when my boyfriend made a comment, Comment, I thought, oh my God, how did I not spot that at the time?
4: I don't understand. How is it a sexual innuendo? Make it count.
0: Yeah.
4: Like, you know, do a good job of having sex with her. Yeah. I think
0: that
4: was that the gist.
1: It's yeah. rubbish, that. <sighs> okay. That <laughs> fell flat, didn't it? All right. Some fantastic news. The UK isn't racist. Right. So we're talking about the government's uh, report.
4: <laughs> its own report commissioned by itself. <laughs> Complete by, its, um, by, by its own people. That's totally um, impartial. This
1: would be uh, Dr. Tony Sewell. Here he is.
2: No, no, no one denies, uh, no one in the report is saying racism doesn't exist. We we found anecdotal evidence of this. However, what we did find was the evidence of actual institutional racism. No, that wasn't there. We didn't find that in our report. What we have seen is that the term institutional racism is is sometimes wrongly applied. And it's been a sort of catch-all phrase uh, for microaggressions or acts of racial abuse. We have got some very focused recommendations on changing the whole landscape for ethnic minorities, and I think that's the that's the key thing, and it's the strategy that we've got to to do that and on on a number of levels: building trust, promoting fairness, creating agency, and achieving inclusivity. Those are the key areas that we think we can move this on. Yeah,
1: I'd be fair to say, there's been a bit of a backlash to so this. Yeah.
4: Well, I've not really read much into it, other than like you know a few bits of the the headline and the and the story, saying that everything's fine except for anecdotal racism. But then the 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 some kind of advisor
1: resigned over it, didn't they? To yeah, I saw yeah. that today, I think, or yesterday. One of the government's advisors,
4: mm,
1: but I don't know. Don't really know enough about it.
5: Why well, is institutionalized racism? <laughs>
1: As in, it's part of the... Good luck getting, anyone to, getting anyone to define it.
5: Yeah. So to like say, uh, like, bodies that we know, like, say, the police force are mm-hmm. institutionally racist and it's mm-hmm. part of their, their MO, their existence, their mission statement from the very top to be racist.
1: I think, that, you, I think that's I, I the gist, isn't it? I think that's the case.
5: I don't think that's the case, but the, there will definitely be some racist police officers in the force.
1: What about racial profiling by the police?
5: I don't, I don't know. I mean, that is... Like, your stop and search has been... If you look at the stats, I think more black people have stopped and searched historically. Um... So you could argue the point that that is is racial profiling. Um, Aren't they trying to do something about that, though, the police in general? You'd hope so. I don't know. Um, I mean... I mean, if that's been held up to them, like a mirror, like, this is what you're doing, this is... Here's some statistics to back it up. You'd like to think that if they weren't institutionally racist and that wasn't part... That wasn't a planned thing from the top to say... Stop more black people and search them. If then I've, you'd think that they would they would act upon those stats and do something about it. Which I think I I think they are, but I'm only I'm not involved in the police, and I only hear this in the news.
1: If I was playing devil's advocate, you could say, you know, how many stop and searches are done in some rural hamlet in the Cotswolds? None, because probably very few. Yeah, because there's no crime there. I mean, the majority of the crime happens in the inner cities. So presumably that's where most of the stop and search is done. And mm. is 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 a cop gonna stop randomly stop like I don't know, some family saloon with three child seats in the back or some, you know, souped up you know, boy racer car. Who's gonna be in know, the boy racer car? You could argue
5: Wait, you could argue that Either one of those two cars could contain criminals, and the, the yeah, likelihood
1: is equal. The point is, they only have so many cops, so there's some sort of profiling that is done at some point, it seems. I've
5: never been stopped by the police, but do they I say, have, you, you know, is it like in the movies where they say you fit the description of, of someone who's committed a crime? I've been, that, sto- you I said I, you've been stopped. Before.
1: I got stopped and searched in a car. Dra- and I, do you know what the circumstances were? You smashed into the back of another car in front of you. <laughs> no, I had I had like a, a souped up two seater, and I was and I was driving through a town center. Town wait,
5: wait. So that was that that Suzuki Swift? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I I had a, a what would be classed as a boy racer car, and I was driving through a city center at one o'clock in the morning, and I got Did stopped really? and searched. Did you? Yeah. Mm. Coming on from a gig in Manchester, I um I got stopped and searched
4: once, mm. um because I matched the description of a, a shoplifter. what, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was walking through a, a Lancashire County Council's car park, and like um, a riot van and a like a normal van like screeched to a halt around me. Three three police officers jumped out. Said, "Oh, great!" kind of thing. Just had a shoplifter reported matching your description brown coat, uh, satchel bag. And he, he said, Can we look through your stuff? And oh, fuck. um, hope there's nothing in there. And uh, yeah, there's nothing in there. Thanks, <laughs> for I straight away <laughs> when this <they> stuff <start. laughs> I slowly went down on the floor. I think the, the argument is, isn't it, that um. If you're like a black person or whatever, that you have, you've been stopped more times. Hmm. That's the 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 anecdotal thing that I hear.
5: Anyway, well, the, the statistics to back that up, though, isn't it? So the, there is a there is evidence to suggest that that is right, which is why I was saying if they weren't institutionally racist, they would be working to address that which I think I mean, they are, yeah. and I don't agree that, that the police force, and we're taking the police <laughs> as one institution, the police force aren't institutionally racist because it's not a direction from the top, as far as I'm aware, to do things like search, stop and search more black people. That, that is profiling. If you were to say your, your target today, Officer dibble is to um, stop and search 50 black people you did 45 yesterday and we're up in our target that's that would absolutely be institutionalized racism but that's yeah. that's a, yeah. a ridiculous uh, a ridiculous um, um, thing I've put up there much more subtly would I don't know, there's a whole spectrum of more subtle ways that institutionalised racism could be happening in, in the police force. But we would only see the result of that, and potentially one result of that is the statistics that show more black people are stopped and searched. So I think that's where the question has arisen. Hang on, we've got some facts here, some stats. More black people are stopped and searched. Question is this because yeah. the police are institutionally racist?
1: Or is there another no, explanation? It's not
5: immediately the police are institutionally racist, but there will be a section of, of society who, who say this means that the police are institutionally racist. In either case, it's right that that should be, um, should be investigated and addressed by a non-institutionally racist police force. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: Right,
5: well, I that? mean, there's, there's other institutions as well, and I, I don't know, that was a quite a low-hanging fruit, the whole police and... and it's
1: the obvious research. example to go to, isn't it? Because it seems to be yeah. what we have more evidence for, or more firm evidence for, things like racial profiling. You can, talk, you can find yeah. out what, what the numbers are for different racial categories... Dying in police custody, for example, so yeah. th- there are, It's easier to get metrics, I guess, for something like that.
0: Mm. But mm-hmm. yeah.
1: the
5: question being, is Britain institutionally racist? It's much broader, and there's, there's, you know, in government, how would you, how would you measure that institutional racism? Number of MPs, I don't know. I mean, that's only a, a quantity statistic it's it's how people are treated it's behaviors it's it's all kinds of subtle things that that i don't think have been fully measured enough to to say whether britain is institutionally racist or not but i i would argue as a non as a non-racist person that while well, i'm british and i'm not racist i know i'm not an institution but there there are far more people like me than than people who are racist in the country. And you'd like to think that those people do elevate themselves to the level of, of um, high office and generate a non-racist um, Britain as a society. But I don't know. I mean, like I say, questions are being asked. Where questions are asked, they should be investigated. But the the answers or the outcome of those investigations also need to be, um, you know, I don't think listened y- to and accepted.
1: I think they're in a no-win situation. I think whatever the outcome of that investigation was going to be, there was always going to be people who would be happy with the result and people who would not be happy because yeah, things are so polarized. Yeah, tribal, isn't it? yeah. So, you know, I wouldn't slag them off just for the attempt. Maybe there are problems with Mm. it. I haven't looked into it enough, but I saw some people saying it's not perfect, but it's a good step forward. And I sort of leaned that way really without knowing much about it. Let's not Mm. completely dismiss it and ignore it. There might be lessons to be learned from it. I don't know. It's
5: the kind of no smoke without fire way of thinking, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway... Mm. Winchester University got in some grief this week over, over a certain statue...
6: It appears there was another group of workers in Montreal who were wearing the potentially... Not that one.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, students of a British university have voiced their anger after more than $30,000 was spent on a sculpture of Greta Thunberg. The Winchester University and College Union also passed a motion describing the statue as a vanity project. Thunberg is a Swedish climate change activist, while the university's vice-chancellor claims that no fund had been diverted from student support or staffing students believe that the funds could have been utilised in a better manner when academic institutions are facing multiple issues due to COVID-19.
0: Yeah,
1: Gratis statue. Fucking mental. It's mental?
4: She's only, yeah, she's only been around like two years.
6: How dare you?
4: <laughs> I mean, come on. Surely you've got to wait
1: a bit to see if she actually does anything. And she's a complete stooge. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's been put up by her family. It's her mum and dad who've pushed her down this thing. Yeah. People are suffering. I should be in school. You should, yeah. You should be in... <laughs> go back to fucking school. <coughs> go back to school and learn something. Come back in ten years when you've learned a bit. You yeah. know.
6: People are suffering.
1: Oh, God. Going, you know, they put her on this pedestal, send her to the UN to lecture world leaders, and they all... <laughs> Clap, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's such it, a... how, How's Greta? How's the Greta issue polling at the moment? It's theatre. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they, they took some heat from that. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's a heavyweight that deserves a statue. No, do how, you? How long? How long before that statue's torn down?
4: Never <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah, for> know. <laughs> Henry Clarkson might do it, I suppose. <laughs> um, I, the other one, I, I, have you heard of a, a website called The Tab? No. No, I just, I was wondering if you had. I was wondering if it was a satirical thing like The Onion <laughs> Because there was I think the an, guardian. Article, <laughs> there's an article in there saying that the Vice Chancellor of Manchester University commissioned a statue of herself. (laughs) But I don't know if it was like, you know, a satirical thing. Because she's like, the students hate her. So I don't know if it was like, um, sort of saying it because of that. And, you know, it was like a a
1: send up of it. I don't know. I hope when she uh, commissioned it, she went, execute orders (laughs) 66. Yeah, probably not. She doesn't sound that fun. (laughs) speaking of fun (laughs) one of my favourite Deutsche Welle anchors was on this week oh yeah who who was that Monica Jones okay Monica Jones she's one of my favourites she just has this this habit of chewing up words (laughs) in in her mouth which I love and uh, it cracks me up and um it was sort of they are doing the. Uh, it was like an opening VT, COVID VT, and then to her in the studio. And at the end of the VT, was talking about a student in the UK doing the swab, like, ooh, not enjoying this swab up the nose. And then it cuts to Monica in the in the studio, and this is her, her opening.
6: Yeah, that's not pleasant. I'm doing that every day. Well, welcome, welcome to our COVID nineteen special. I'm- Group as well. All right, Eva. A wellra woman about
4: wow, wow. It's like Joe Biden. A <laughs> well wow, wow Maybe she got caught between German and English. Like I, don't know. I don't know what she's saying. I think she's trying to say a warm welcome. Uh, it sounds a little bit like
1: Javar. A well-warm. <laughs> wellroom. Yawar. Anyway, this is from the same piece a little later. Monica two. Oh, I've paused it. We'll oh, have I done that?
3: <laughs> Group as well. All
6: right, Yvonne Maldonado from Stanford School of Medicine. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. May I ask you a question? Did you catch cold this winter? Come down with the flu? No. Well, over to Derek and one of your questions now.
4: <laughs> very, is it is the term Teutonic? <laughs> <laughs> in that she's chewing on her words. Uh, well, that's what people call uh, Germans, isn't it? Teutonic. Very sh- straight lace. I don't know.
6: May I ask you a question? Did you... i well
4: Teutonic. Teutonic. I think it's may I ask you.
6: May I ask you a question? Did you...
1: <laughs> may I... Th- don't
4: know. Relating to the Teutons... The denoting Teut- the Germanic branch of the Indo-European language family.
1: Yeah, Teutons were a Celtic tribe that, that Julius Caesar was up with. Fine, the Teutons and the Kimberi in uh, The Kimberly. Yeah, in the uh, Roman expansion. I look, Teutons. Amish
4: Benz uh, updated the uh, vice-chancellor of Manchester University. He said it was an April Fool's. So it was a satirical yeah. article maybe I'd forgotten uh, said yeah in first.
5: a non-satirical website but yeah <clears throat> Nancy Rothwell
4: got me I'm thinking is this
1: real <laughs> please continue creepy uncle creepy uncle Joe's dog's been in the news again this week oh you yeah. just chewed up your well, words
4: major
1: is
5: it? is it major
4: yeah, cheeky
1: it w- pumple Rick wasn't as bad as <gasps> oh well, oh, oh. <laughs> no wasn't it
2: Let's just call it what it is, a major problem at the White House. Major the dog making headlines again. He has nipped someone for the second time, (laughs) nipped the word the White House is using. Lauren DeMarco covering the dog drama. She's live outside the White House. Hey, Lauren.
6: Jim, you know, so many people were excited to see dogs back in the White House, so this is really a bummer to find out that things just aren't going so well with Major. A spokesperson for the First Lady put out a statement. I want to read it to you. It says, Major is still adjusting to his new surroundings, and he nipped someone while on a walk. Out of an abundance of caution, the individual was seen by the White House medical unit and then returned to work without injury. It was a National Park Service employee who was nipped on the south lawn of the White House today. Lots of people chiming in on social media about the first pet. And a local veterinarian, Eric Cryon, tells us of all the change and moving to the White House, it's just probably kind of tough on Major.
1: Yeah, he nipped a, a Secret Service agent as well not long ago. Yeah, poor He's Major. Probably, you know, pulling
4: his balls or something. He's trying to send a message. What kind of dog is he? German Shepherd. No. Oh, it can be nippy. Sometimes they nip your hand off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've uh, they've let Joe out again this week. The second time in eighty days.
1: Not a press conference this time, just a speech. Oh. But you how know did you do? that's you know, there's still plenty of uh plenty of opportunities to Oh well. well. Chew your words up in a speech, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. He was talking about this, his new investment plan. So they're going to spend about $2 trillion on infrastructure. <laughs> That's a real number. $2 trillion on infrastructure. They're going to uh, be building the roads three foot higher. You know, on the railways, everything's going to be three foot higher, you know, because of climate change and stuff. And it's going to make loads of jobs.
4: Uh. Yeah. Why? Because climate change. Yeah, but it's not going to flood three foot everywhere.
6: People are suffering.
4: <laughs> People are fucking suffering, man. But surely, surely building everything three foot higher will generate so much carbon, or really so much carbon into the atmosphere. How long would? It's
1: just like a self fulfilling prophecy.
6: How dare you?
1: <laughs> Get with the program. This isn't the way the world's going. We need to build things three foot higher. Just get that around your head. Get your, take get your vaccine passport and build everything three foot higher, and then we'll be fine. <laughs> Maybe sign up for the well well building. <laughs> I might get one for my house. I might get someone to come round. Anyway, he started his um his speech talking to uh, one of the guys. I think who introduced him. who works on is uh, I think he's some sort of electrician or whatever. And I found his opening gambit quite funny.
3: But I'd get nervous if I had to get up in the middle of the night, climb up a telephone pole, replace in the middle of a storm, a connection that knocked out everybody's electricity, put a transformer. That's what would make me nervous. So uh, what you did was really good. I couldn't do what you do, pal.
1: No shit, Joe. He couldn't even climb up a fucking flight of stairs. He about... looked really painful that, though, didn't he? I bet he
4: took the skin off his shins. Off his fucking puny skin. It's just a millimetre
1: thick because he's 90. Did you see the deep fake someone did of him falling down all the stairs? No. And then getting up at the bottom and giving the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> fucking golden. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't see him getting up a telegraph pole any time soon. Anyway, this uh, this turn of phrase kind of
3: weirded me out. Ordinary Americans doing extraordinary things. People who break their necks every day for their families and the country <laughs> they love.
1: Hanking themselves. <laughs> I've never got in and thought, oh, that was net breaking that day.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's
1: just a weird... I suppose he, is he
4: neck,
0: making
1: backbreaking
4: work? Yeah. It's an extension of your spine, isn't it, I suppose? Ordinary Americans
3: doing extraordinary things. People who break their necks every day for their families and the country they love.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
4: Wouldn't yes. want to do that, job. <laughs>
1: it's, a har- it's a bit Harry Carey, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's particularly upset about the number of COVID deaths have been
3: virus on a deadly rampage it has now killed over 4,000 excuse me, 500 I can carry it in my pocket every day I have the list of exactly how many have died 547,296 Americans
1: he has this thing where he carries a piece of paper in his uh, <sighs> the
4: number of deaths in it This just write my list, hang on a minute yeah. oh,
1: that's another one the, uh the empty chair, the empty chair at the breakfast table where grandma used to be. He, that's what he keeps talking about. You know, he, he's, he has a grandma that was still alive. <laughs>
0: no, just
4: American. <laughs> Holy
3: shit, she must be, is it Methuselah or something? Just Ahab? When, just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A vampire <laughs>
4: <laughs> He's obsessed with masks. Creepy Uncle, Uncle Joe. It's a double there, isn't he? I am sitting wearing a double.
3: Mask up. Mask up. It's a patriotic duty. It's the only way we ever get back to normal.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh
3: your opinion, man.
1: Yeah, he's well into masks. Yeah. And uh, deaths. At least I think he's talking about deaths.
3: The virus on a deadly rampage. It has now killed over 4,000, excuse me, 500. I can carry it in my pocket every day. I have the list of exactly how many have died. 547,296 Americans.
0: That's a wrong clip? The right
3: clip.
4: Oh,
1: no. What have you been doing all day? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, he's on, tar- he's on target for vaccinating 90% of Americans by the end of the spring. I think it's the end of the spring.
3: Finally, 10% will be eligible no later than the final 10% will be eligible no later than May 1. May 1. Oh, God. it has been 4
5: million a day in the state.
1: I've never heard anyone say January one, February one.
5: Yeah, Americans say that. They yeah yeah
1: yeah they do it differently, don't they? The other way around. Is it like uh, when Trump wasn't he quoting the Bible and he said Kings one? I don't. That was because he was making that up, I think. But I think the first book of Kings.
4: <laughs> I think. Um, Yeah, you say they say May 1st, May 25th. May 1, May 15th. Yeah, we say it the other way around. So, like, when you read scientific articles that are American, the dates are the other
1: way around, aren't they? It's like month, day, year, rather than day, day, month, year. I had it in my head that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, he he doesn't, does he? (laughs) As well. It's a common uh, mistake. He shouldn't make that mistake. That he doesn't know what he's talking about. He knows a lot about the internet. Did you know that? Uh, no. Drum. He knows a lot about the internet.
3: You know, in America, where the early interest was in internet, this thing called the internet that we invested, we 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 invented the early early internet. Yeah. It Was invented here.
5: Yeah. Tim Berners Lee.
4: Well, no, they did. No, they did. They did. It was like a NORAD thing, wasn't it? CIA. Yeah. Like a weird thing, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So he's right. He's right. He knows about that. If that's what he's talking about.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Orphan oil. So we need to get off oil and get on uh, green energy. And so they okay. call them orphan oil. You know, when oil... Um, what do you call it? Not a geezer. Um, an oil... What's the thing, thing that sticks up from the ground? Pipe? Rig. <laughs> Might be a rig. Probably not the word I'd use, but... Like when they're redundant, they call them orphan oil plants, right. and they just leave them, even to rot. Yeah, fuck so, it. Yeah, so we need to sort them out.
3: We've been capping hundreds of thousands of... Oil. Or oh, literally orphan oil and gas wells or
4: oh, oh, literally he didn't want to say we're capping thousands of orphans, did he <laughs> at the border <laughs> oh God has he not opened like massive concentration camps for migrants or something you know, on military bases? I'm sure he's reading something about that. There's a crisis at the
1: border, isn't there? Like, lots of people have come extra. Yeah, because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty horrible what's happening. There's, like, kids in cages and stuff. Yeah, but that, Seems. I thought that was a hangover from the Trump <laughs> thing. But then, you know, I imagine it hasn't changed. Yeah, it'd be easy to blame him. They're in power now. Why don't they sort it out? Exactly, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on at the border, but there is some sort of migrant crisis, it seems, on the southern border.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. I don't know why. Who'd want to live there? (laughs) Texas sounds all right, and Florida
4: at the moment. Sounds pretty appealing. I was being facetious. All right,
1: okay. Uh Okay right
4: is that um, it you've thrown away your um your script
1: yeah it, w- it went off the rails at the end <laughs> just we could give
4: those scripts away
5: phil Who'd oh. have them? on patreon <laughs> <laughs> highest bidder
4: yeah we need to set up on patreon i'll oh, for a week as well
1: let's go for a week. all right so
5: you get so the next uh three hours of this episode of the podcast on patreon It's been three hours. That's a lengthy lengthy term.
4: It is. Got a smartwatch now. It's good though.
5: Yeah, what did you get?
4: Just a Samsung, a a GP, Samsung one, Samsung Active.
5: I don't think Samsung did GP ones.
4: It was only about 100 quid. Well, I'd say only, I didn't pay for it. My my wife offered to buy one for me.
5: That's nice. Yeah. Very nice. What does it do? Does it got to do do uh, all the things?
4: It's not. Apparently, none of them are as good as the the Apple Watch. I don't know. The other issue is is what I mentioned is it has its own software, um, which is Tizen in. Yeah,
5: Huawei had that.
4: Um. Yeah. Rather than Google Wear OS, which then would talk to my Google Pixel. Um, And apparently there's not very many apps for it, but, you know, I I don't... It tells the time. I can monitor my heart rate, and it does my steps. What else do I need? Control. What does that mean?
5: (sighs) Like put put the other software on it. you
4: control
5: Spotify and things
4: on it? You control Spotify, yeah. I don't
5: think you need much more.
4: I don't, the only thing I will probably want is the Google thing so I can talk make my so I can google stuff on my watch but that doesn't I don't think that well, exists
5: hey Siri tell me about stuff
4: yeah that's great. like say hey google we have to pay for you it, Shazam it's like Shazam three it yeah. oh right, no my yeah. phone's, my phone's just lit up now um uh, Shazam I don't know
5: have a thing where you can push a button and it makes your phone beep in case you've lost your phone put your phone down somewhere.
4: Yes, I That's think I've handy. got that on. I've got that. Well, I don't know if it's on it, actually. I think it might be. I still don't really know how to use it, to be honest with you.
5: It's not very Amish of us, but we're we're talking tech. Smartwatches, Phil.
4: Yeah, I can just edit all of this out. It's boring. I'm not. I don't do any
1: edits. <laughs>
5: Ugh, it's going in. It's I've mounted... Um, this Millennium Falcon.
1: Very good. What?
5: Yeah, I thought that so.
0: was
1: new. Mm. What scale is it? Oh, it's interfering that's with the. What is your phone? Or your watch? Whatever. It's going. Do you think that's me? Oh, is it? It's one of your devices. you really? not me.
5: It's, it won't be interfering with the microphone, will it, surely?
1: I'm talking to Matt.
4: Yeah, no, I'm just doing some it yeah. now. Obviously. Oh, so it's oh it Yeah.
5: No, it's that cheapy Galaxy. one. You should have got, you've got, you've got an, Apple. an
4: Apple. Does it work Rest. with Android?
5: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Probably half works. You don't get the full integration.
1: I was at work the
4: no, other
5: way? doesn't
1: work at all. And uh, I'm working on a kitchen, and there was me... And John the Joiner, his lordship. And uh, Calamity Keith, the plumber. And uh, Keith had gone outside for something. I don't know what he was doing. Something in the back. And John the Joiner came in and goes, have you seen Keith? I went, no, I haven't seen him. And he's wandering around the house looking for him, shouting upstairs, where is he, Keith, Keith? And then I saw him outside and I went, John, he's outside, Keith, outside. All right. And uh, he go, John goes up to Keith and goes um, we're working opposite the hospital you know where it's you can't park it's like permit only residence only and what have you mm-hmm. and John goes uh, Keith uh, the guy's just uh, ticketed your van I've just seen him walking around the corner so Keith oh, bolts up like that goes grabs his key runs out the door I'll get that fucker <laughs> Slams the door behind him, jumps in his van, and John goes, "Come here, come here, come here, come here." And we go to the front window, and we see him running outside, jumping in van. I say, "What you? What? You, what's, what's happening?" He says, uh, "Have you checked my van? My van got a ticket." And it, uh, on his case van is one of those yellow, you know, the yellow and black stripy packets that your parking ticket comes in, mm-hmm. and. Uh, John goes, no, I've had that in my van for weeks. <laughs> and uh, How long did it take for Keith guy, to come back? back? About half an hour. <laughs> Just driving around the estate looking for him. Looking for oh. the parking attendant.
5: And this was in this week's issue with the Beano, was it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could have been.
4: Would you recommend Keith as a plumber? I need a plumber. No. Do, do, do you want an
1: indoor swimming pool? <laughs>
0: where's <laughs> all the good, Where good can Fucking, <laughs> okay.
1: you got to take your wellies if, you, if you're working with Keith. I was there. I was there one day, and when he was powering the new boiler up, pressurising it, and I was boilers upstairs in bedroom, and I'm downstairs in the kitchen, and all of a sudden you just hear <laughs> awful.
4: Is that a, yeah. a frequent occurrence for him to make a mistake then?
0: Mm.
1: I guess so, otherwise they wouldn't call him Calamity <laughs> Keith, would they? But uh. this person still uses him for some reason.
4: <coughs>
1: Can't get him. There's no plumbers, no corgi plumbers available. Can't get him, no. He needs to go to university and do a degree in zoology or something. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: There's no tradesmen about And they're dying. They're all dying off. It's like, I'm I'm the young kid in the gang at nearly 40. Everyone else is ready for retirement. Yeah, it's it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no one wants to do it. It's hard work a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Well, We'll see. See what happens. I don't know what my nickname is. No, he Ooh. don't know have one.: Yeah, everyone has a nickname, but no one knows it's their nickname. They're all said, you know, it's it, the joiner is his lordship. <laughs> the plumber is Calamity Keith. The bricklayer
4: is probably
5: Amish Phil now you've grown your beard. <laughs> it
4: could be Amish Phil or the mother of madness, I imagine.
1: <laughs> Britlayer ever... Brit is Mr Happy. No <laughs> <laughs> oh, idea. Don't know what my nickname is it?
4: who's the who's the um, the gang leader
1: whoever got the job
4: okay and then so, you say oh I've got a mate who does this that and the other and then
1: is that how it works well usually it's people who saying like I want this wall knocking down and then I want this extension and I want a big kitchen kitchen diner yeah so you need every everyone on it you need one of everything yeah so John will yeah. say okay I can price this for you with everything with the brickwork the foundations plastering tiling if you want tiling flooring painting whatever you want yeah mm-hmm. you know and yeah, he
5: takes his X percent for project managing the whole thing not usually It's
1: fine usually customer pays yeah. each trade direct you don't want oh, that you don't want that headache
5: anything for
1: no you don't want that headache fair
5: enough yeah.
1: <laughs> let him finish you you already you should you should already be making enough without having to get involved in all that some will do it and you know they'll end up in an early grave <laughs> from fucking stress it's not worth the hassle is it trying to coordinate like half a dozen trades to turn up with their own, their own diaries their own customers ugh i I wouldn't want to do it
5: it's a rule with
1: an iron fist. No, life's too short. Hmm.
5: Well, happy Easter.
1: Have you had a good Easter? Been alright. Been good. My uh, eyeball. You've been in the garden. Make the most of the uh, weather before it snows tomorrow. Um, yeah.
4: Well, we've been out yeah we've been out we went we found have you ever heard of Hurst Grange Park in Pemberton no, no. it's like it's, it's just been pimped <laughs> so it's literally like a five minute drive for us um, and it, I would recommend it and soon it's going to have a cafe and visitor centre what's so good about it it's just got new stuff and it's got a massive slide Everything's new, so it's perfect. It's perfect for the older one and perfect for the younger one because he's got loads of toddler stuff that he can go on. He's got a massive sand pit, those diggers. You've seen the diggers? Loads of swings. It's great. Yeah. I'd recommend it.
1: I uh, great. Right. Just before I went to bed last night, I developed a sore eyeball. <laughs> And uh, thought nothing, nothing of it. And I uh, woke up this morning, and one eyeball was just bright red, oh. just uh, massively. Uh, what do they call it? Bloodshot. Bloodshot.
5: Conjunctivitis.
4: Bloodshot. Uh, yeah, either that, or you've. Sometimes, if you... when you're coughing or sneezing, you can burst a blood vessel, and that's really. Do you say itchy?
1: No, it's not itchy. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I think I think it's gone. Yeah, I can't really see out. It was mad. I was I was starting to get concerned that I might go blind (laughs) in one eye, and it was just fine. It's been it was sore all day today, till pretty much till I came in here.
4: All right, okay. Maybe you just need to be in a smoky climate for your eyes
1: to be fine. Yeah, maybe. Oh.
5: Kill the parasite.
1: (laughs) I've had one packet of minstrels today. Okay.
4: Full of benzene. Is that 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 slim pickings? We normally have eaten
1: Easter Sunday.
4: Eating six children's eggs or something.
1: I'd usually be gorged. I'd be like, (laughs) I'd be like, you know, the hungry, hungry caterpillar by Eric Carl. Yeah. I'd be the big fat caterpillar.
4: Well, he only gets big and fat after
1: eating the healthy leaf, doesn't he? The healthy leaf after the ice cream cone, the slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, a sausage, a pickle, Mm. one piece of Uh, cherry pie. Lollipop. The next day was Sunday again, and the caterpillar ate one nice green leaf and felt much Mm. better. Yeah. Got things moving again. I counted 24 eggs on the shelf yesterday. Twenty foot. What, <laughs> what the fuck? Twelve each. That's mental. I went to the shop yesterday morning and bought another four. I don't Is know that one one each one left. And uh I think I've got three.
4: I've got who's three. Got, who's got you an egg? My mum. Right. Mum m- misses.
0: Mm. And me. Right.
4: Okay. For <laughs> yourself, always like got to treat yourself. You. Uh, I know this year, can... this is the first year I think ever in my life that I've not got an Easter egg, especially for myself. Mm. Me and my wife decided not to get them mainly because we'd eaten a kilogram of dairy milk in a week. Anyway, so a kilo, what? Well, 8- eight hundred fifty grams in one bar.
1: Yeah, well, wow. uh, ashamed. It's Easter. Fuck it, it's Zombie Jesus Day.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. The good thing that you know about um, who was it who took over Cadbury's? It's like that massive American craft. craft that's it, isn't it? Bill Gates. Yeah, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, and they make now fruit and nut Easter eggs. I got the Mrs. One. She requested so like it. Fruit and nut egg, you see. Or, like, you can get a crunchy it's one. A... Oh. It's a... Uh,
5: it's a fruit nut in the egg, in the actual
4: show. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a... You know, it's, they're not just paying lip service. They actually put fruit and nut in the egg. That's the whole thing.
1: Did you get an okay. egg, An egg bed?
5: Yeah, I got... Okay, I got a Lindor one, oh, obviously.
4: which is so middle class. Ben <laughs> uh,
5: got some. Uh, we have uh, friends who make, oh, here we uh, go, brownies. Like, like uh, they make and sell artisan brownies. <laughs> so my wife do. got me a pack of Easter brownies, which was nice. Uh, and I got an M and M's crispy Easter egg. The oh, nice! M&M's.
4: Nice. Yeah. That's pretty good. So you've got three? Well, two eggs and, uh, and some brownies. Two eggs and some brownies,
5: yeah. My wife made... i a Lindor Rabbit as well.
4: Oh, Sexy. Um Right, <laughs> She made some kind of brownie last week, which was spot on. That had Easter egg, that had cream eggs on, and mm-hmm. Oreo eggs. On the brownie? Nice. On the brownie, yeah. Oh, is That's that weird? Amazing. They're just like placed and on top, baking, basically. Yeah, and then you put it in the oven for like five oh. couple of minutes to kind of melt into it a bit. It was amazing. It was the best brownie I've ever had in my life. It sounds <sighs> uh, decadent. Yeah, she also made a Bake World's Heart this week and we've eaten that as well. One big one? Yeah, probably a foot
1: across, I would say. 300 mil. New money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's gone as well. She's quite into the baking. Yeah, and
4: I still get slagged off for buying her um like I bought her a, one of those mixer things, electronic mixer. I bought her a <laughs> bread maker. An air fryer. And she uses all of them all of the time. And I'm slated for buying
1: rubbish Christmas presents. My dad to this day get slagged up for buying my mum a food mixer 40 years ago (laughs) so good luck with that you've got 40 years
4: did did your mum use it yeah that doesn't matter (laughs) like at least once a week for making a cake or something oh you're such a utilitarian but she said that she enjoys (laughs) so she makes bread for us we don't buy bread anymore really do you know? We, that? B- we bake our own bread, yeah, once or twice a week. I say, we how many uh, loaves a time? How big's your bread oven? A kilo, I think, is the biggest he it, it does. And we must go through f- at least five loaves a week. Five loaves? <laughs> yeah. Ah, bullshit.
1: My kids are on packed lunches.
4: Well, we're not there yet. Neither <laughs> of them. Are. You get free. You get free food, don't you, for two? All days. right, it's not bullshit, though, is it? Five loaves. Yeah. Two two pieces of bread a day. It? So it's four <laughs> pieces of bread a day. That's only a loaf a week. Four a day. It's only about that much, isn't it? Times five. How much bread do you eat?
1: It varies. What about the but, but, but four, four loaves a week. <laughs> <I>
0: know,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs>
4: we've got a milkman by accident a milkman turned up at our door yeah
5: we've got yeah. a milkman now proper proper glass bottles and
4: stuff no as is not I good, for, good like... for the
1: sperm <laughs> is it the glass bottles yeah oh because of the plastic yeah, yeah. the
4: leaching so, yeah. oh fuck yeah I'm gonna have to think about that
1: yeah we're gonna have to get a milkman just for the sake of the sperm it's Dude, more
5: expensive it's, great, it's like magic you open the door and there's milk there every morning freshly squeezed or whatever
4: we <laughs> come every day to you. Ben.
5: Yeah, they every come, day. Yeah, apart from Sunday,
4: they?
5: of course. A,
1: a, a pint a day? Okay.
5: We have two pints every other day. And a, a pint. We drink a lot of tea and coffee. So we get a pint a day exclusively. <sighs> don't have, don't have to explain. And <laughs> Have to
4: justify your milk (laughs) consumption.
5: We've just had the bread conversation. (laughs) demanded justification for the five loaves.
1: That was just ridiculous. I might invest in a milkman. I would. I would like real, locally sourced double cream. Yeah, this is
4: the thing. This
1: it's called. Well,
4: the one I've signed up for by accident is like a huge corporate entity when i've looked into it like a national Are you part of the problem
5: Matt?
1: is it yeah. uh, the bill and melinda gates foundation milk yeah. department something like that yeah
5: Brand corporation
4: but yeah. yeah yeah but the problem is with that it's definitely more expensive than milk from a supermarket um how much a pint? I, th- I can't oh, i can't remember but i think i think it was at least a third more but obviously they're delivering it to your oh, door, man. aren't they? And, and well, then you th- pay
5: fifty p a pint and it's delivered, and that's right, about okay. the same as going to the shop.
4: Yeah, that's cheaper than going to the shop. Yeah, I thought it was it's like sixty p yeah. for a pint, yeah. a pint Um, yeah, so it was definitely more expensive. The and then if you wanted glass bottles, it was even more expensive than like a plastic.
5: More for glass bottles. Mm. Oh, you, you want to kick these guys
4: to the... No, yeah, uh, there's, there's like three different milkmen that come to our road. There's one for next door. Either side I've got different ones. There's an ang- a particularly angry milkman that comes, so I might get him. He does glass
1: bottles. Yeah, he'll be the best. <laughs> what What's the rationale for that? Because he's angry. Ben, come on. Why would an angry milkman be
4: there? No, he'll, he'll
5: <laughs> jingle your balls really loudly in the morning. You oh. don't have to invest in an alarm clock. You don't have to thing... set your fancy new smartwatch to vibrate you awake.
4: <laughs> He's, um... He comes uh not too early, that one, as well.
1: There's one that comes... <laughs> this... the... <laughs> Doth what she
0: proclaimeth.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um... But the one neck, the other side, he comes at like half five in the morning <laughs> up the path.
5: Machine comes down,
1: comes up your path,
4: yeah. Slams the, the van shot <laughs> and then revs it out in the street by <laughs> like half five once a week. God, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I might look and see how much the other one is. Oh. Is that my watch? Yeah. I have to start taking it off. What does it do? The watch. Yeah. I've already been through this with Ben. So it's a wa- It's a watch, first it's and back. foremost. So it's a watch. Yeah, that's tick. It does tick. Ticks. So. Does it uh, tick? It can't, I've got my heart rate monitor. So that's on at 58 <laughs> beats per minute at the moment. fucking rather not know. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't. Um, I've done nine thousand seven hundred and twenty steps today. Um yeah. I've burnt five hundred and fifty-five calories. Um it's saying I've had thirteen hours sleep. Really?
5: What? <laughs> that <felt me> right.
4: <laughs> no, sorry, that's my move that's my move hourly. I've moved I'm guessing I've had thirteen
5: 13 hours in which you've moved. Yeah, I guess. About, I, I have a similar one where it says you've stood up within an hour. You still stand up right. and move about for a minute, it logs
4: that. So I've got all that. Uh, all right, that's just that. Um, I can like do workouts on it or something. I don't know why. So I did that today when I had a run on a treadmill. Got my heart rate. Got the weather. The weather. Um, got the calendar. Calendar. I've got another another screen with all the stuff on I've just said. Got a stress monitor. I can measure my stress somehow. How accurate's that? Yeah, not very. I was quite stressed the other day, and it said I wasn't stressed. <sighs> um, and I can control Spotify. <sighs> and also, like text messages pop up and stuff. That's it, really. I just got it to see because um, I was quite surprised that um, my heart rate was so low. Because Mel put, Mel, she, my wife had bought bought a, 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 an oxygen saturation monitor, is that what it's called, you put on your finger? And she put it on my finger like a couple of weeks ago, and my heart rate was like 55 beats a minute. Mm hmm. I thought it used to be around about 70, but I've been doing a bit of jogging on the treadmill for about a year, and I was quite surprised that it worked. My <coughs> heart rate had gone down. Right. There you go. So, yeah, uh, I thought, well, I'll have a look Arrests. and see see what I'm good. doing.
5: It's good. Good. I've joined a gym from this world. <laughs> Are you gonna oh. get, get a hedge? <sighs> hedge from it. Uh no. Well, no. Um it was I got a uh got a half price gym membership with um that health insurance. Uh, mm-hmm. but obviously everything's been closed, so I've not I've not activated it till till mm-hmm. now. I'll go and uh I'm doing workouts here every every day, but I haven't got any equipment or anything, just those dumbbells. So I thought I'll uh, go and use some of the resistance machines. It's got a swimming pool. like Some kind of health kitchen that I might check out. Sauna, beauty treatments. (laughs) A facial. (laughs) Living the dream. And not tying into like a Twelve month thing. It's only a monthly rolling, so I can just if I stop going, I'll stop paying.
1: It's pretty good. That's the best way. Hmm. Rolling contracts. I need to sort my phone yeah. out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been putting the on a only shit problem contract. With the gym is the
5: fact you're t- you're tied in. I understand if you like if I was locking myself in for eighteen months at sixty pound a month or something and I'd only going once a week or whatever, less than that. That'd be ridiculous. But when it's a rolling contract, it's at half that price. It's you know, it's cheaper than my phone.
1: You're not going to get another dog. I've started walking more now. Yeah. I've got a Zeus.
5: Yeah, yeah. Well I try and walk every day as well on top of that. So that's that's gonna be good. But yeah, um we we are looking at getting a, another dog, but I've told our daughter that she has to be eleven before we can get one. That just gives us time to uh to forget. It. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I want another Jet Russell, really. And the wife wants a Border Terrier. Oh, Collie. So fairly little dogs. Which is fine. Because um, yeah. we've got a cat as well. So And we get puppy. puppies. Puppies oh. this time, rather than rescues. So Puppies are hard work. So I'm working at home. Mm. Well, that's it. I'm working at home all the time now, so... There's always going to be someone in, which is which is better than when we previously had a dog. Mm. It was on its own for a bit while we were at work. But yeah, probably sooner than than when she's eleven. To be fair, uh, I just want to. I'm trying to train myself before we get the dog, so I'm out walking every day, at least once a day. Did it all through winter. Um, even if it's raining and all that, to try and train myself to go out when we do get a dog. I don't want to be in the situation where I'm like, oh, do want to go for a walk, and then it's it's not fair on the uh, on the pet on the animal, really.
1: I quite enjoy the early morning walk. I get up, I go out in my jogging pants, my sweats, and uh, I make a brew, bean to cup, and just throw it in the thermos flask. Put my uh, waterproof jacket on. So come on. Come on, buddy. We're going. And uh, it's so peaceful and quiet. Just not a soul about. And just... Uh, it's nice. Wander about. And uh, I enjoy them in the mornings, on the weekends. I'd, she does the early morning one, Monday to Friday usually. I do them on the weekends and I do the evening ones in the week. So, yeah. I couldn't uh, I couldn't get away from him last night when I put him to bed. I just couldn't. Uh... He does this thing where he, he sort of moans and groans at you while you're stroking him when he's in bed, when you're going to bed. A bit like a Wookiee. I
0: was are are
1: you of, stroking him. <laughs> yeah, I must have been there for twenty minutes. I just, uh, I was waiting for him to oh. stop groaning at me. He's a sweet boy, I'm kind of, I've fallen for <laughs> him now. Yeah, it's a bit, a uh, bit iffy at the start, but I think we're going to be best buddies now.
5: He's a handsome chap.
1: Yeah, he's got a big dick. <laughs> it's quite intimidating when the dog's dick's bigger than yours. And the old lipstick comes out. Ugh. Weird shape, it's uh, different, different from a human. Dapid. It's uh, yeah, it goes to a point. There is a bell. <laughs> <laughs> it goes to a, a knot. point.
5: Dog's, dog sticks. There's a knot halfway down. Oh. And, um, after <laughs> they've, they've, they've got the they? load, the, the, yeah, the knot kind of swells and they stay together with the. When they're um I don't know what they call it. You know, when they're copulating?
1: Something. I've not in, in uh, yeah, inspected it, it to that degree. I no, try I and probably
5: get, wouldn't see it unless it <laughs> unless it was fairly far far into it.
1: I try and get him to calm down when I see the pencil out, the lipstick. That's the sign to uh calm down, Zeus, come on. Don't get too nuts off there, right? <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah.
5: He's not like humping stuff.
1: Oh no, you couldn't have that. No. No, he's
5: too big for that. That's, that's
1: nuts. Grandpa's not having him in kennels. You know, we're going on holiday. No. And I told me I told mum and dad, like, we'll put him in kennels and grandpa don't want to have it. He said, you know, he's had such a traumatic year. <laughs> I don't I don't think he should go into kennels. I think we should have him for the week. Wow. Uh, he absolutely goes nuts when he sees my dad. Jumps at him. Yeah. Just goes batshit. Loves him to bit. My mum said that's because he knows he's a fucking child. <laughs> he's a child, that's why. Yeah, it's weird.
5: Cool. Right, well, this is uh, three and a half hours, gentlemen.
0: Yeah.
5: It's a pleasure as always.
4: I'm going to uh, Is it time to go? go? Yeah, I need a wee. It's a I need a wee and go bed like.
1: New city girl. go. That's <laughs> uh, next week, isn't it? Talking about the oh, uh, I
5: need to get in touch with him. Yeah, I
1: need to uh, fluff him Bay of Do Pigs. Talk. Talk yeah. 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 It's going to be good.
4: And
1: because we've been bored and we want to have fun. Right, we'll go then. <coughs> Happy Easter. See you yeah. in a bit. Yeah, Praise Jabulani. Epstein didn't kill himself.
2: <laughs> well, the thing is, what do you do, you caught between I'm the devil and a rock and a half place.
3: Oh well. Oh, oh. Just when I came to the United States Senate 120 years ago, risk more cases, and more desks.
0: Because we've been bored and we want to have fun.